Quincy, are you ready? Yeah. Are you sure you're ready? I don't think you're. I think you think you're ready. But I'm gonna start the intro, and you'll be like, "What the hell? This energy is wild." I, I'm. I'm hoping you get me like that, man. Three, two, one. Oh my goodness! Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 460. Joining me today is Quincy Carrier. Quincy, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing good, man. You know, just kind of woke up, did some things. Now I'm ready to <laughs> talk ball, man. <laughs> are you? I don't know. I, I should know the answer to this. I apologize for not knowing. Are you full-time making content? Yeah, I've been full-time for about a couple of years now. I think I'm coming up on the second year now. Dude, congrats. That's a huge, awesome accomplishment. And I that means you probably have weird – like, I have the weirdest schedule of all time. I'll be up till, like, 4 a.m., then I'll sleep till 6 p.m. I get up at 7, and I'm like, I uh, guess I'm starting my day now. Like, I don't have a, I don't have a job to be at, so I just kind of do stuff whenever I'm awake. Is that how you are, too? Yeah, I try to make sure I keep <laughs> myself on schedule because it, it'll get ridiculous where you're like, ah, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make that video. I'll start at 2. If I start at 2, it's going to be ready by 7. I upload it, and then, like, you just – you end up with all kind of weird sleep schedules, and then you're like, hey, I can't get to the grocery store because I'm never awake when it's open kind of deal. The, the worst so. one for me – dude, laundry right now. My laundry room closes at 9 p.m., and I keep starting my day at, like, 4 o'clock, and then I got work to do. I do all my work, and it's, like, 2 a.m., and I'm like, well, I missed the laundry again today, and now I'm tired. I'm going to bed. It's happened, like, a week in a row. I'm like, I got, like, a massive laundry pin right now just full of clothes. I'm like, ah, today's the day. It was 7 a.m. Like, yeah, go ahead. It happens like that with working out, too, right? Because, like, most gyms now, uh, like, there's, like, Planet <sighs> Fitness and, like, a crunch that, like, they'll be 24-7. Um, but if you don't live near one of those and you live near, like, a normal gym, you know, it's like you got to be up at 5 in the morning. <laughs> Oh, you got sometimes you got to do a thing where you just stay up till five to get your workout in and go to sleep. And then it, it's we content creators do weird stuff all the oh time. With, <laughs> I've never met one with a good sleep schedule ever. <laughs> no, it, it's going to be a hard battle the rest of my life, unfortunately. Like, I, I've been up all night. It's 7 a.m. here in Hawaii, and I've, I haven't slept yet. I'll probably go for like a long walk after this and then try to go to bed around like 11 a.m., I guess, because that's that's the life, right? Um, I think so. I love your content, my man. I, I think you're awesome. I think you're well spoken. I think you're interesting. If anybody, for people who don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself and kind of describe who you are and what you do? Yeah. Um, well, I do mainly like what NFL, really football, kind of focus in on the AFC North and the Cleveland Browns most of the time. Um, but I kind of just kind of focus in on those kind of things. We do breakdowns. Sometimes. We make fun of the, the, the hilarity uh, of the situation that sometimes could be covering the Cleveland Browns on a daily basis. You know, you got to have some levity in there. But I try to hit it from all different angles and all different sides because I just grew up just loving the Browns, loving football in general. You know, I'm the kind of guy that if I see like a FCS semifinal on, I'm definitely going to watch it. You know, I'm just kind of that hooked into it. So... You know, I just love talking football. My channel is really about talking football. I also do some uh, basketball stuff, too. I'm starting to get into that. So, you know, just kind of all around sports talk, you know? Absolutely, my man. Um, I'm, I really love when you, like, clown on analysts. Some of your, your, like, my favorite videos by you are, like, making fun of 
uh, a hero of mine from my childhood, Colin Cowherd. Um, and I want to tell you now, feel free to ever, if you want to make a video making fun of me and the times I've been massively wrong, you're more than welcome to. That would be a, a great honor to make it onto. I think you call them Worst Take. Like, what Can you describe that name, Worst Take, and where it came from? Yeah, so it's basically like just a play on first take, and it's just <laughs> um, a joke on just so many times. Like, I don't really harp on people just for being wrong. I think everybody has the right to be wrong when you do yeah. this, right? We have to put out something like you're going to be wrong every once in a while. I think it's a lot more important how you get there, right? Like, how did you get to this conclusion? Because sometimes you could be right, but it's only because you guessed the answer and because you knew what you was doing to get to that answer, right? And, you know, I'll just point out, things where I think it's funny or or if you can go back and just show a clip where it's like he completely said the other thing uh, two weeks ago, then that got busted. Now he's moving to goalposts. And, you know, there's just a lot of trolling going on nowadays. And I try to give people, um, in my mind at least, I try to give people the tools to know when you're being trolled and when not to kind of feed those trolls, you know, because <laughs> sometimes we can get obsessed. I, I'm, I'm no better, right? Mm. A Twitter troll will get me on a rant for like, Two hours on Twitter, if I'm not careful. <laughs> the guy that gets me is uh, I, I love I respect him a lot. Stephen A. Smith is a wonderful performer, um, and sometimes I'm like, he kind of toes the line between analyst and performer. I'm like, I, do you believe what you're saying? Like, I kind of feel bad because he's got to do his show. Like, I feel like it's seven days a week. It's like incredibly, um, it's just a massive amount of content. And I think. Sometimes the sports media makes more content than there really deserves to be based on the news and the stuff going on. I'm like, we, do we need to show three hours every day? Like, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Stephen A. Also, like, he's on, like, eight different shows. You know what I mean? He got, like, yeah. three different shows. He's got a radio show. I, I don't know how he keeps track of everything that he says. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, he has to have somebody on staff that's like, yo, Steve, you said this. You know what I mean? Um, and, look. This thing with Stephen A is if you – there's like – I don't want to say you don't take Stephen A serious. You do take Stephen A serious because he is very smart. He's a very smart analyst at the end of the day. But if you watch enough Stephen A, you know when it's like, okay, Stephen's doing his bit here, right? Like Stephen's going to get his licks in about uh, the, the, the Cowboys. He's not really breaking it down. He's just getting his bits in. <laughs> um, and, and then that's just kind of how you have to break it down and kind of enjoy it because it's like if, if you take everything that Steven's saying, like he's dead serious, you're going to lose your mind at some point, right? I mean, like it's like that with a lot of guys, like Colin Coward included, right? Because Colin, Colin is excellent at it too, or he'll just say something, put it out there. He knows what he's doing. He's about to explode Twitter with like some suggestion or something like that. And, and you know, people, chaos ensues. But it's kind of part of the thing, right? You have to, like, lean into it and enjoy it because it is – Stephen A's got some hilarious stuff. Like, making fun of Cowboys fans are, like, some of the best things he does. He's got the cigar, the hat, the little le- – I'm like, I love that stuff. But it's not serious. It's it's almost a comedy bit. Um, I'd love to ask you, my man. I, I don't know I, – I do, like, film analysis videos occasionally. And those are my, my biggest videos that get the most views. Um I, I would I would assume that those are some of your highest like grossing stuff too. When people you make you talk about other analysts, Stephen A. Smith, Colin Coward, whatever, is there a bit of a pressure to do more of that? Like I know that I love Formula One, and like I get up at three a.m. to watch Formula One races, and like nobody watches, but I'm like I make it because I like it, and I I can't always only make film analysis. I would just be really really unhappy. Do you kind of feel that way with some of the content you make too? 
Yeah, like definitely with the Colin Coward stuff, right? Because that's kind of how my channel blew up was mm. doing Colin Coward videos and talking about because it was like right at the apex of of Baker Mayfield's emergence. <laughs> um, you know, his his rookie year, and then it was like all these Colin Coward takes. And then the big thing, like, you know, the big thing, it, this all started because Colin Coward likes Sam Darnold. Like, people forget that. He's off, always going to be wrong about the Baker Mayfield thing. A trunky West Coast yeah. <laughs> blue-collar <Yeah>. kid. Because <laughs> the whole basis of his argument was the Browns was a bad franchise because they didn't take Sam Darnold. It is like, you're still wrong. Like, even if, like, you know, Baker's, he's up in the air right now. We don't know which way that's going to go with him, right? But, you know, he... he even then, he's still wrong on it. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I with Colin Coward and all that, like, I, I tried to have a conscious effort of, like, okay, let me not always be ragging on Colin Coward, right? Let me try to vary it up and maybe look at different analysts here or there or maybe just do different content altogether just because, you know, I feel like if I spend all my time like arguing with other people or, or virtually like kind of just taking down other people. I I don't know how that makes me any better as an analyst mm -hmm. myself, you know? So I'm just, sometimes you have to be mindful of it. There's a, when you see something that deserves to be roasted, yeah, you, you, you put it out there, you roast it, you know? And then who knows, maybe in two years, somebody's going to come back around and roast me for roasting that take because, you know, it's, it's just all, it's, it's like the wire, right? This is all in the love of the game, right? <laughs> Well, I, I think you're a really great source for Cleveland Browns content. Like when, I, when I'm curious about the Browns, I go find you because you're like an expert on them and what's going on there. Um, I'm curious, what is your tie to Cleveland? Like you're, you're in Atlanta. I know you lived in L.A. for a while. How, what's the Cleveland connection there? Well, I was born in Cleveland mm. and raised in Cleveland. Um, yeah, about 20 minutes from downtown. So I've always grew up heavy into the Browns, heavy into like just Cleveland sports in general. Um, and then after I graduated college, I've moved around quite a bit. Um, but, you know, Cleveland is always where I'm from and where my heart is. And, you know, I'm I'm always going to root for the Cleveland teams no matter what. Even It could be any sport. You know what I mean? If they decide they're going to bring the indoor hockey, the indoor soccer, soccer league back, you know, guess I'm going to be a Cleveland Crunch fan. You know, I'm just <laughs> – I'm just big into Cleveland sports um, and, you know, just has a special place in my heart. I got a tough question to answer, and maybe it's not tough. I don't know. But I, I hearing that you're a Browns fan, I empathize with you heavily because I know it's been some – I always call them a little engine that could, that you, like, really want them to succeed, but it just hasn't happened, like, our entire lifetime, basically until last – you know, two years ago now. Why are you a Browns fan? Like, other than, of course, being from Cleveland, like, at some point you could have walked away. Why didn't you? I don't know, man. It's just I'm one of those guys that, like, you know, you put me in a situation and, you know, there's, like, two types of people. It's like you put somebody in a situation, they go, this doesn't work for me. I'm going to find something that does. And for me, I'm just the kind of person, you put me in a situation, I'm just going to try to figure it out. Like, you know, I'm just going to try to make the best of it. Uh, and that's kind of been my Cleveland Browns fandom. I've been doing it so long that I feel weird to do anything else. Um, but, yeah, you know, growing up, I think what the Browns had that really good 2007 season, right? It was like Josh Cribbs, oh my gosh, uh, Derek Anderson, <laughs> Kellen Wins. Well, I can't hey, say Derek his name Anderson had YouTube. some really good yeah. games that year. He was fantastic for yeah. that one year. Yeah. 
Braylon Edwards, the last really mm-hmm. good year out of Jamal Lewis, right? Like, that was just such a fun year. We had this young left tackle, hot prospect out of Wisconsin uh, named Joe Thomas. That was like, everybody's telling me he's really good at left tackle. I didn't know if, what a good left tackle looked like. I was like 12 at the time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it was just, you know, seeing that team has the success, seeing the energy around it, you know, just remembering being a kid catching footballs in the backyard, running like I'm Josh Cribs. Um, you know, this just puts a special place in your heart for that team. And, you know, I, I don't care how bad the Browns get. I'm always going to love the Browns the most out of any team that I ever watch, right, because I just have such a deep connection with them. And I love football probably the most out of any sport. And when you're from Ohio, man, you just – Unless you like in Bengal territory, you're going to cheer for the Browns. Like, it just is what it is um, if you want to be respected in the local community. <laughs> I assume you've been to a Cleveland Browns game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been to a couple. I went to the opening game of the 0-16 year. <laughs> I went to the first game where Baker Mayfield uh, appeared at the Jets game. That was crazy. Um, you know, I've been to – I went. I had season tickets the whole 2019 year. Mm. That was uh, that was bad. That was real bad that year. Um, but I always, try to, I always try to make a point to get to at least one game a year. Um, so, you know, I always try to check it out. Is it fun? I mean, I, I think that's part of probably cheering for a, a team that's, quote, been bad for a long time is that if anything, if nothing else, like going to a game and being a part of the crowd and bad or not, like that's part of the fandom, right? Yeah, I think the thing about being a Browns fan is like no matter what, after a while, like it, it really filters into two people when your team's been that bad for that long, right? <laughs> it either filters into people – like me, who are just like, hey, we're going to make this work. We're going to figure things out. You know, I I have done the mental gymnastics over the years where it's like we're starting uh, Colt McCoy and he's being challenged by Jake DeLome. And I'm like, hey, man, that might work out. You know what I mean? Like, like you just have this internal optimism about yourself. Or there's people who just kind of like watch the team and it's like a hate watch energy, right, where they just mm. are grumpy that they've been that bad that long, but they ain't, they've been doing the same thing every Sunday for like 30 years, so they don't know what to do. Um, so there's that kind of energy there, too. A lot of the Midwest teams are like that, right? Um, but, yeah, with the Browns, it's definitely like that, where it's just like the optimism. Hey, it could happen. And the promise of after waiting for this long, if it does happen, it's going to feel amazing, right? <laughs> I hope you never lose that sense of hope. Because the minute you lose that, then you're going to be miserable. Like The fact that you hang on to that eternal optimism is really, really cool to me. Um, I, so years of them being terrible other than 07, how good did it feel when they won their division, won a playoff game? Like when they finally succeeded and did well, that had to, the payoff had to have been incredible, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that Steelers game. I'm gonna remember that Steelers game for the rest of my life. Uh, the wild card <laughs> game, right? Where I, I remember watching it. I could not believe what I was seeing, and then they get up 28 and nothing. And then I get nervous because I'm like, oh, the Steelers will, the, the Steelers will do this to us, where we would, uh, where we would blow that lead and lose at Heinz because the Browns at Heinz Field. It's been like a thing for like the last 30 years. Um, ever since they built that stadium in Pittsburgh, it, it's been a rough go of it for the Cleveland Browns. So, yeah, you got to celebrate the victories and enjoy it. I remember the day after. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen next year, next week against Kansas City. But, you know, cherish what we just saw right there because that was big men in Heinz. We got him to cry after all he's done to the Cleveland Browns in the last 20 years. Oh, it was one of the best moments of my life. <laughs> I love to hear that. That's awesome. Um, 
we have to talk about last year because, you know, this past 2021 season, because I thought they were a Super Bowl contender. I mean, I predicted them to go 13 and four, win their division, and it didn't happen. So what was your opinion on what happened last year? Why did it go wrong? And uh, how'd you feel about it? Yeah, when you look at the 2021 season, right, I still think that that roster is still amazing, right? They, they, they walked into the season with um, some really good players on that roster. And I think they started off – look, this team never looked like they were ever close to reaching their potential, but they started off like 3-1. and one. And you can see the problems there at 3-1. and one. And at some point, I think after that Arizona game where they just got completely destroyed, J.J. Uh, Watt com- just jumped on uh, Baker – and Baker was already injured. The wheels just look like they fell off of this team. And what I mean by that is you started to notice that things were being done in football games, during football games, that just you could not really make a clear argument how that helps the Browns win football games, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, I was talking with somebody about this earlier this week, you know, the usage of David Njoku. David Njoku was clearly the Browns' best tight end by, like, every metric. He's the best blocker, most dynamic athlete at the position. The Browns run a ton of, like, you know, three tight end sets. So why isn't he being featured more? But instead we're throwing the ball to Austin Hooper, who we pay more money to, but he's much less productive, much less reliable than David Njoku. Um, and you have to ask yourself, like, why was that happening? You know what I mean? Like, was that about winning? Every single thing that happened with Odell Beckham in 2021, you ask yourself, was this about winning? Why didn't he play that first game versus Kansas City when he insisted that he was healthy and ready to go a week before? Why was it that it got to the point, right, where after the bye week, all you could think about, all you could do was release him for free? Like, how did it get to that point? How do we get to that area why weren't we giving him the ball more is another thing that you can ask right like why weren't we trying to figure out ways to get that ball in the hands of Jarvis Landry the ball in the hands of Odell Beckham I know this is narrative out there and look Baker has some good traits and a lot of bad traits as well so I'm not here like just completely defending the guy um but the idea that he can't throw the wide receivers is absurd he had two <laughs> 1000 yard wide receivers in 2019 <laughs> he has had his best years when he targets these wide receivers but it looked like this year i mean at times i don't want to say he wasn't he was refusing to throw the ball but like you would see plays where it's like it's it's impossible you didn't see this guy right like he's right there in front of you for the first down why didn't you throw him the football? You know, they're, they're, you just look at this team you, it, only on the offensive side. Defensive side, I think they were phenomenal. They got their act together at the end of the game, at the end of the year, and really were one of the best units in football. But offensively, just a lot of stuff happened with that Browns team. That I'm like, man, I don't think anybody was focused on. I think Kevin Stefanski at some point got fixated with proving people that his offense wasn't the problem, right? Like with mm. Odell and all that. Like his, his, you know, and I think Baker got fixated with proving that he wasn't the problem with Odell. And I think at some point Odell got fixated on proving that it's not him that's the problem with the offense, right? Because you had that weird triangle going throughout the year of blame where it's like Odell's the issue with the offense. The Browns are better without Odell. It was a dominant storyline coming in about this Browns team. Are they going to be good with their best wide receiver, right? And they couldn't figure it out. They could never get it clear. And it was always that tension, and it felt like a tug of war, like a three-way tug of war. And then once Odell left, it just turned into a two-way tug of war between 
what Baker is trying to prove, what the offense is, what the what Kevin's trying to prove, and you know when you get in those situations where yeah you might have a really talented roster, but you're not pulling all of your energy in the same direction, which is towards trying to win football games. Well, you're just not going to win that many football games, no matter how good you are. It's a it's amazing they won what they won eight games this year. They went eight and nine. Um, and swept the Bengals. It's amazing they were able to do that just because the strength of the defense. Because if you look at some of these outputs that the offense gave you, I mean, it, these are some bad games. Uh, the, the Minnesota Vikings game was one of the most atrocious offensive football games I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and if it would be the worst, if I didn't also see the Browns play the Lions this year with Tyler, with Tim Boyd at quarterback, right? And it was Tim Boyd versus Baker Mayfield, and both were playing awful. Like, you know, like there was a point where the Browns like literally just had to score three or seven points. Well, people were wondering, people were like, is Tim Boyle a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield? Like, that can't be true, right? But there was like, that discussion was happening on Twitter during that game. People were like, who's worse in this game? This third string quarterback in Detroit or Baker, right? Like, that should ever be a discussion. Yeah, I don't care what's going on with you. If you on the football field and in pads, man, and you a number one overall pick, nobody should ever question if you're better than Tim Boyle. And no disrespect to Tim Boyle. Look, I'm happy he got to the NFL, but I don't know if you ever looked up Tim Boyle's college numbers. I don't know how he got there. Dude, excuse me. They're dog shit. It's like he threw more interceptions like by – like twice as many interceptions as touchdowns. It's unbelievable, like actually how bad he was in he college. Yeah, no offense to him, but you're like, how did he make it? I don't get it. He, go, transferred, go ahead. he transferred down a level and the numbers were still bad. That like that's that like he must have the most amazing agent ever, or like you know, it's like he got a look at a preseason game apparently, and like he looked good in a preseason with like the the Packers, and that got him into the league. Look, man, I'm I'm happy the dudes in the league. But Tim Boyle, nobody should ever say that name seriously in the same breath as your starting quarterback when you drafted a dude number one overall. And uh, the the offense this year was just uh, an absolute burden. I think it was one of the worst offenses in football. It was a pain to watch, you know. And, look, I watched the whole AFC North. I've seen the Steelers' offense for the last two years. It's bad. Don't get me, like, don't get me wrong. That's a bad offense. But the Browns' offense this year, given the talent that they have and given the lack of success and explosion that they were able to create on a regular basis, it, it, it was astonishingly awful, like shocking that that's, like, the offense would not only be bad, nobody thought this offense would be bad, um, that they would be that bad too. Like that was just mm. that was just uh, head scratching because they should not be that bad. They have enough players to where they should not be that bad offensively, and yet they were. And you know this off is going to be about figuring out what the problem was. I I think a lot of it's on the quarterback. I know that he had the labrum injury. I know a lot of people want to use that as a reason for why he didn't play well. But you know me personally, look, I understand he was hurt. I understand it's not an easy injury to come back from, um, and it's not an easy easy injury to play through because it was on his non-throwing shoulder. I understand it still affects you when you're throwing, but also you were out there, man. Like, you know, like you played in those games, so I can't ignore what I saw. And also, you know, you got cleared. 
like I don't know, like any other player in that situation at any other position, they get judged off of what they put on tape, mm. even if they go yeah. out there hurt. You know, Miles Garrett has had like two seasons where he disappears at the end of the year. Nobody's giving him a break because he was hurt at the end of those years. You know, they're just like, oh, you had 16 sacks in the first 14 games and then you disappeared in the last three. You know, now you're not defensive player of the year. Like nobody gets a mm. break for what they put on tape in the NFL, especially because, you know, it, the 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 general like the unspoken rule is you know if if you are clear to play and you decide to play you better be up to standard you know that's just what it is and if you can't play up to standard but yet you played 14 games after you got hurt you know i don't know what to do with that right like i don't know how mm, to yeah. i don't know how to evaluate that because the ideal that i'm just going to throw out a whole year of tape because of an injury I don't know. It seems kind of ridiculous when the dude played most of the year. No, I totally agree. Um, and his decision-making isn't made in his left shoulder either. You know what I mean? Like, that's a mental processing issue. And I'm, I'm curious because he did something I really liked recently where he put out this announcement, I'm deleting social media, I'm staying off social media. I think that's good for him. I think he's the kind of guy who probably pays a little bit too much attention to what people say about him. And I've said for years, I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts about this. You know, I... I played quarterback in college, and my whole journey to get to college was to prove a coach wrong. I had a coach my sophomore year of high school who said, you're never going to play college football. You're not good enough. So my whole journey through high school football is to get to college to prove that guy wrong. And I got to college, and suddenly I flamed out. My motivation was gone because I'd already proven that guy wrong, and I had to find new motivation. Baker really, really loves to look at the, the quote, haters and people that don't like him and view himself like an underdog. And that story worked really well when you're a two-time walk-on. But then when you win a Heisman Trophy, you're a number one pick. You're a franchise quarterback. You win in a playoff game. That narrative doesn't work anymore. And I think we're seeing a guy who is having a hard time figuring out why he's doing things and what his motivation is. And that, that sounds like a classical thing to admit, you know, his motivation, blah, blah, blah. But I think he's in his head a lot. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I definitely can see that because I, I thought that was – when I got excited about Baker Mayfield at the end of 2020 is when I thought that a lot of that stuff he found a way to not do, right? Because I understand mm. it, right? Me and Baker are relatively the same age. Um, well, we're the exact same age. We have, like, a birthday in, like, within the same month. So I'm like, I, I get where he was at mentally for the last few years where it's like, you know, I did a lot of that stuff. Like, I got to college and I wanted to graduate to prove people wrong. Never thought I could graduate and all that. Like, obviously, I wasn't a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback at Oklahoma or anything like that. So, I can't fully relate. But I understand, like, you know, that motivation to prove people wrong, it can be really helpful, um, especially, like, in your early 20s, you know, when you got all that energy. But once you get older and also once you get more exposed to just more consistent levels of scrutiny, in your life, right? Like, you know, me and you, we both do this thing where we talk in front of a camera almost every day in front of people who got things to say about what we have to say. You know, it, the ideal that I'm just going to prove the haters wrong, it just becomes a lot more complex and a lot more tiresome, right? It can't be your motivation anymore. So you have to find out other things that, that get you up in the morning, that make you want to be great at what you do. Um, and a lot of those things are founded in more positive roots than just you know, trying to prove somebody wrong. Maybe you just want to prove people right. And at the end of 2020, I felt like he was at a good place where it wasn't about, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna troll Colin Coward back now that I had a good year and I'm going to get on these memes. Like, he didn't do any of that. But then this year, mm -hmm. he starts to play bad and he falls back into the same stuff where it's like, oh, now I'm, now I'm 
bookmarking tweets that people said about me that were negative and then you know i'm screenshotting stuff and i'm clapping back at reporters again and it's just you know after a while it's just not what you want out that position like it's fun at the first at the beginning because it's different but then you start to notice that that just wears thin on a lot of people after a while and it's just exhausting kind of energy wise that you're always talking about people who are doing you wrong and all that and it's just i don't know with him there's a lot to look at with baker mayfield um physically and mentally because yeah this does some of this stuff does seem like it's mental with him but you know that that's really what i want to see out of him next year is like is he going to come back from this labrum injury and try to prove to the world that the, he sucked last well this year just because it was the labrum or is he going to try to actually just win football games because i want to with the roster that the browns have i want a quarterback who wants to win football games i don't want a quarterback who wants to prove something i don't care about that i want a mm-hmm. quarterback who's going to do what needs to happen to win because while it might sound like it lines up um, you know, there's a lot of times in life where, you know, what it takes to prove somebody wrong and what it takes to win a football game might be two different things, you know? And yeah. we he he has to find his peace and balance with that before he could ever be a, a consistent starting level quarterback like he's shown he has the ability to be. Um, I think that positive motivation works way better for me. Like I love my job. And I want to always love my job. So, like, sometimes I need to take a day off because I'm, I'm not feeling it. And that feels bad, but I'd rather make less content and be happy than be forcing it all the time. And you look at guys like Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers, despite any negative criticism you could make of the guy, he clearly loves his teammates and loves working with the guys he works with on a day-to-day basis. Tom Brady loves the game of football. I'd love to see Baker be motivated by his love of the game and his love for his teammates rather than people on Twitter trolling him. Which leads me to my question, do you read mean comments? Because I know I do, but I try not to. Like as little as I can, I, I try to I try to avoid comments as much as humanly possible. Do you read comments on your YouTube videos? You know, it's interesting, right? Because sometimes it feels like the only comments they notify that you get on the on the little YouTube studio app are the worst <laughs> comments that you could possibly read. Right? We all have that um, fucking app. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, oh man, this guy like wrote a three page report on how to. Like, I'm not gonna read all that to be honest. Like, if you're anybody who's ever been in my comment section and left me like, if it says read more, if I gotta, if it drops like a substantial amount after reading more i'm just gonna tap out all right bro you got it um but <laughs> they worked you know, harder for that than you did on the entire video <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like you know i i i have a point where it's like i try to keep track of it mentally because i feel like i'm gonna have that curiosity to want to check my uh, comment section just to see what's going on down there right mm-hmm. you know because i don't want to be out of touch and not realize that i'm out of touch with something right um so i always try to keep an eye on it and, and check it out or make sure like nothing crazy is going on down there or like that you didn't have like a massive editing issue or like that's when i i'm like is, is the video like not screwed up because sometimes i'll be like hey your audio's messed up and i'm like oh my gosh i better fix that right now thank god someone commented right yeah, yeah, it's something like that. But, you know, sometimes you'll see the negative ones. Some of them, you know, have – sometimes some people do have good critiques in there. A lot of times it's just mm. kind of funny and you screenshot it and you send it to, like, your other YouTuber <laughs> friend and you're like, yeah, this, this guy thinks we should trade Miles Garrett for a third and a fifth. This is crazy, right? Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you said something earlier, and I totally agree. I, I said going into the year that the Browns had arguably – 
the best roster in the NFL. I mean, this is a football team that won a playoff game two years ago. And last offseason got even better. They added, you know, OBJ was coming off of an injury. They added mm-hmm. Jadavian Clowney. They brought in Greg Newsom to play corner. Like, I thought the Browns roster, after winning a playoff game, got even better, which made it even more disappointing that they didn't perform. And then you look at the way, what's really, and you talked about this, and I, I want to respond to it, is the way that they didn't keep Odell Beckham Jr. happy. Like, it was mm-hmm. so easy, it seemed like, for the Rams to give him targets and be nice to him and, like, promote him and, like, support him and lift him up on social media and just say, like, we love the guy and we're proud of him and whatever. Like, it doesn't seem like it's actually that hard to keep to keep OBJ happy. Why couldn't Cleveland do that? I, and I, I'm just baffled. Like, you don't want to get your really good receiver of the football? You're not going to target him on third down? You're not going to talk about how good he is in one-on-one matchups and why you love him? Like, what was going on there? You know, there's, there's a couple of things I think went into that, right? The, the people who ended up having Odell the last two years weren't the people that traded for him, right? John Dorsey got fired at the end of 2019. Mm. And Odell's numbers that year, like, they, were, they weren't they were using Odell great. It was a Freddie Kitchens offense. It was a mess. That thing, that Todd Monk and Freddie Kitchens experiment was a mess uh, of an offensive uh, concept. Like, just bad stuff happened there, right? But they, they tried to get Odell the ball a lot of the time. They did things. They refused to put him on, like, post routes like for whatever reason you know that's what he's best at and you know but they got him the ball he had over a thousand yards I don't think he was unhappy at that point but in 2020 and like look I don't think I think the ideal about Odell and I think the thing that people get wrong about him is that he I don't think he cares about bulk like production yards right I don't think he really minds that but he wants to feel like he's a part of the game and I don't blame him for that right he's a super talented dude you know I I I always kind of try to relate this to let's say you're really good at something at your job right I don't know what job to relate it to but let's say for example you work at uh, IT company, you're the best coder that the company has, right? And they have you on a website project, and you know that you can code the best out of anybody in the room, but instead, they got you picking colors for, you know, the background. Like, it's like, yo, man, I could do so much more. Like, and whenever you feel like you could do, offer something to the team that can help them win, and they refuse to, and it feels like people don't want to put you in that position, that's going to be a frustrating situation because you want to win football games at the end of the day, right? And I think what happened with the Browns is that they lost sight of the human part of that locker room because it's it wasn't hard, right? Like, just give him a couple of red zone uh, targets, right? Just throw a fade up to him and see what happens. He's Odell Beckham. He's really good, you know? Um, well, I want to say, you know, people talk about how OBJ is selfish or has an ego. Like, he got massively overshadowed by Cooper Cup in L.A. Like, Cooper Cup was the go-to guy for the Rams, and Odell didn't have a problem with that at all. Like, there was no problem in that locker room, in that receiver room, with Cooper being the go-to guy. He understood his role. So anybody who's like... You know, OBJ on the Browns had an ego and just wanted the ball. That I'm like, no, no, he he hasn't he doesn't need to be the go-to guy. But you're right, he wants to be involved. And he, he certainly, if you're losing and not giving the ball on third down, and you're having turnover and downs and stuff like that, then he's going to have a problem. Which you're right, totally makes sense to me. And also, like you know, it, this is one of those things I try to tell people. Like I get killed by by the local people, um, <laughs> by, by local because I they think I I defend him too much, right? Because they're all against Odell at this point. I don't blame mm. him because like 
to kind of put in that position. But from where I'm at, I have to kind of have to look at things kind of more more charitably for both sides of this, right? We try and, to be and objective and fair. Yeah, and or at least fair, right? Like I, yeah. I, I know it's hard to be objective when you're just a fan of a team, but at least be yeah. fair, right? And with Odell, it's like if he were this terrible teammate, his teammates wouldn't love him as much as they do. But this, these teammates, like they don't just like the guy; they don't just defend him. They go out of their way to defend the dude. Like I don't, I have not seen some, a team. Love a dude more than, like, a lot of these dudes on the Browns love Odell. People try to write it off, oh, it's because he's a celebrity. Oh, he gives them shoes or something ridiculous like that. No, I think the dude's genuinely, like, a good dude to have on your football team. He's a real hard practicer. He's not, a, he's not like, about he, – like, he'll dress up or he'll have a nice outfit on or he'll have some cool cleats on. But he's oh, not no, doing personality. The, yeah. Ah! Yeah, but he's not doing any of this stuff that like he's not Chase Claypool celebrating his first down when the clock's running on a two minute drill or something like like he doesn't do that. Right. So the team likes the dude. And and I think this is one of the things the Browns front office is going to have to make amends for is that. They made a wildly unpopular decision in that locker room. If you ask anybody in that Cleveland Browns locker room, do they feel like Odell quit on them? They'll tell you no, he did not quit on the team. You know, if you ask anybody in that locker room, should Odell have been cut? They will tell you no. Um, you know, they're publicly, like Mac Wilson has been public about it on Twitter. John Johnson, a bunch of dudes have been public in their defense about Odell Beckham after the dude got cut and went to the Rams, right? So the narrative about Odell is that he quit on the team, or at least locally is that he quit on the team and that, you know, nobody on the team liked him. He was doing his own thing. He was a malcontent. But nobody is reacting like that in the locker room about him. So that tells me that dissonance there tells me that there is something more to that story than what we know uh, from, you know, sitting here on Twitter. Right. You know, clearly the people in the locker room do not feel the same way that the people on Twitter feel about Odell Beckham. And I think that's because they probably have more information. But, yeah, man, it, it was one of the most puzzling things to see that a coach as competent as Kevin Stefanski just refused to figure it out with Odell Beckham. Um, and I think. Part of that's on Baker, right? I think Baker tried, but I think Baker wanted to do it his way. I think Odell wanted to do it his way. And, and they just, again, they were all pulling in different directions and never in the same one ever in this season. I think that kind of just started the domino effect um, on the offensive side of the football to what we saw. You said it earlier. I, I kind of You kind of convinced me that it must have been Kevin Stefanski trying to believe that my offense is better than one player. Like, he just kind of refused to bend the knee. And we saw Sean McVay over and over again say, like, we're going to get Odell involved. We're going to give him targets. Uh, praising Odell, Kevin Stefanski never did that. Like you said, he kind of missed out on the, the human element of that relationship, and it really cost him. Yeah, I think Kevin's one of those guys that really believes in the system, right? And a lot of those Shanahan guys are like that, where they run that offense. It is a, a, a offense It's about the system. But – I think what separates people who replicate the, uh, the Shanahan system from the Kyle Shanahan's of the world is that awareness of your personnel, both positive and negative, right? I don't know if you're a big Jimmy G fan, but I'm going to just let it out the back. I think Jimmy G is a lemon. I think he's a, he's, I don't think he's a terrible quarterback, but I think, I don't think he's what people are saying that Jimmy G is. And I don't know what it is uh, with Jimmy, but I think he's been carried fairly a fair bit 
uh, in, in San Francisco by the Shanahan offense. And I think that's because Shanahan is aware of what he does have on offense and what he doesn't, right? If he does not feel like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be able to do anything for him, he just won't throw the ball. You know what I mean? Like, Shanahan's just willing to turn it all the way off. Like, you know, and that's one of the things with Kevin. I'm like, okay, whatever is happening with Baker, he's playing awful. Why are we <laughs> Why are we throwing the ball with him 40 times? You know what I mean? Like, why are we still trying to do the same stuff with him when he's been awful? You know, and we can put it on the shoulder, whatever. When he's been out there, he's been bad. And you look at the Pittsburgh game. You look at the Green Bay game. He was unspeakably bad in both those games and it was still hey we're gonna throw the ball we're gonna push the ball we're gonna push the pocket and it's like you know you got to be aware of what you have another part of that is you know just the Andy Reid thing or Matt Stafford at the end of the Super Bowl right Matt Stafford did not care about no double coverage he didn't care about anything he said I got one baller that's Cooper Cup I'm getting him the ball that's what I'm gonna do I'm just Cooper's getting the ball or I'm throwing an interception that's what it's going to be. That's what the Super Bowl is going to be on, right? And with Kevin, you know, he never goes, all right, David's having a great game. David and Joku's having a great game. Let me go get the ball to David. You know what I mean? Let's just get David involved or let's get Odell involved or let's just let's get Jarvis involved. Let's make our playmakers play. You know what I mean? He never goes into a game really thinking that. Sometimes with Nick Chubb, he'll be like dead set on running the ball, but never with any of the receivers. He did it like one time. It was with Odell in the Dallas game that they had two years ago where Odell had like three touchdowns, right? Never really went back to that idea, right? And, you know, it, it's one of those things that, look, he's a second-year coach at the end of the day. He's super young. You hope that he learns from it, you know, and, and takes that into next year and understands that, hey, you know, when you have star players, sometimes you got to throw the system out the way and, and just get them the ball, right? Because that's your best play is getting your best player the ball. It ain't always about what you can design. It's about just getting the ball there. And the same thing goes for Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield likes to spread the ball out. Baker Mayfield likes to, you know, divvy up his targets and divvy up uh, his, his receptions with guys. And sometimes – you just got to get the ball to your play, your playmakers, right? Like sometimes you do just got to yeah. force. You know, I know that was a big uh, worry. He's going to force the ball to Odell. Oh, no. What a problem that is, right? Like, oh, no. It, because Matt Stafford didn't just force the ball to Cooper Cup to win a Super Bowl, right? Um, or or force the ball to Megatron. You know, it, it's sometimes when you have a guy that good, you just got to force the ball to him. This is what Josh Allen did at the at the start of 2020. It was like, okay, Stephon Diggs really good. I'm just going to throw it to him. He's going to be open. Joe Burrow, forcing the ball to Jamar Chase. Yeah, it's not that bad of an idea. So, you know, sometimes you just got to get the ball to your playmakers. And with Kevin and with Baker both, I think they have a hard time understanding that, like, the playmaker ain't going to be their scheme or their ability to see the field as a quarterback, especially Baker, because he's not very good at seeing the field as a quarterback. We've known that for quite a while with him. Like, he's not the best guy when it comes to diagnosing defenses, knowing where guys are going to be. Baker's, like, really good at if you need to get the ball to a window, you tell him to get the ball into a window, he'll fit the ball into a window. That's what he's good at. But other th when he has to, like, rely on his, his processing we know that he's not great at that so don't worry about that sometimes you know take the pressure mm -hmm. off of you and just get the ball to a playmaker um but it, it seems like there is significant tension on doing that both from the quarterback and from the coach so I don't know how realistic it is for me to expect it no sometimes you have to know when your player is better than your scheme I have a friend who coaches in college and they had a receiver who was just like 
NFL speed, like ran like a 4-4, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. You could double cover him, but it doesn't matter because he'll just run by both guys. And you're like, well, on paper, if you draw it up on a whiteboard, he's double covered, don't throw to him. But in real life, in, in practicality, he runs right by both guys and is wide open deep. And you say, sometimes you got to throw out the playbook and just go get the ball to your best player. Um, I, I'm curious because a lot of people talk about Baker last year and are saying, well, the injury is why he played so bad, blah, blah, blah. I think you and I kind of have an agreement that, well, you put a lot of bad stuff on tape. But I would respond to those people by saying, if he was really hurt so badly that it was affecting his play, he probably shouldn't have played. So I think it's just kind of a bad argument that people make when they're like, well, he was hurt, so that's why he played bad. Then he, like, ruined his career. The opinion of him and his finances are going in the toilet because – I guess he played hurt. If that's really what happened, do you agree with that assessment that if he was really so hurt that he played terribly, he probably shouldn't have played at all? Yeah, I mean, like if if everything that he did bad this year were due to that shoulder, I would have agree, I would agree. Like, yeah, he probably shouldn't have played. The problem is, like, some of the a lot of the bad stuff he did this year really had nothing to do with stuff that you would like uh, a traditionally task with it being about the the non-throwing shoulder labrum, right? Like, you know, if he was just inaccurate Mm -hmm. every once in a while, and it's hard to gauge whether his inaccuracy is because of the shoulder or not because you've watched a lot of Baker Mayfield. You know, he has sporadic moments of just wild inaccuracy, right? And whenever I hear, like, J.T. O'Sullivan, he he has a great channel on here. Um, He did a nice breakdown, and he's talking about Baker's feet being terrible, right? Like, a lot of people talk about how bad his feet are. We've been talking about how bad Baker's feet have been for like three years. He's never tried to do anything about it. They've asked him if he wanted to do a quarterback coach or go have a quarterback coach in the offseason to fix the feet. He said, no, I don't need to fix anything, right? So he doesn't think it's a problem, but everybody who watches him play says, yeah, the reason he gets sporadically inaccurate for a guy who can fit balls into tight windows as often as he can, um, the reason he has these moments of inaccuracy is because his feet, his feet are terrible. Um, And, you know, he doesn't do anything about that. And it's like, when we know that the feet have been an issue with him and that's been a source of his inaccuracy and we see bad feet, we can't then say, oh, it's the shoulder. You know, and he had more than the shoulder injury. Right? He had a toe injury, like a bunch of different injuries. He was banged up. But guys are banged up at every position. It's just we talk about the quarterback position the most. Um, and it's like I've seen these issues before with Baker. Like, you know, if this were new stuff, Maybe I would buy that argument that it's about the shoulder and like these problems won't pop up again. But we said the same thing in 2019 that, hey, he's never going to have a bad season like that again because there's no way he could be in a worse situation than Freddie Kitchens. Right. Like that was the whole argument for excusing 2019. He gets the coach of the year in 2020. He's going to he looked really good. And then in 2021 still has the same coach, but look bad. And now it's the injuries. And it's like. How many times are we going to run into excuses for this guy being inconsistent before we just accept that he's inconsistent and there are reasons he's inconsistent outside of what we want to blame it on or what's convenient to blame it on? You know, like, yeah, the labrum did affect him. I do think he he was worse because of the labrum. I don't think that justifies how bad he got during the year. I think he knows that that's not a good excuse um, for why he played as bad as he did. Um, And, you know, I think the team knows it. And let's be real here, right? When he wasn't healthy enough to play, the team sat him down. They did not let him play against Stanford. They they put Case Keenum in, um, you know. So when he played, he was cleared. Like it wasn't a situation where they were forcing him out there. You know, when they when he played, 
he was it was of his own decision making. And I understand people have the idea that like the coach is supposed to hold him back, but coaches said he looked fine in practice, right? Physically at least. Like that didn't seem like that was the issue. So, you know, I just I I don't think we could just sit here and just blanketly say that it was just the labrum because there's a lot of things that just don't suggest that. The Browns are a team that's ready to win. Like if they can you imagine if they had Matt Ryan at quarterback? I think they'd win a lot more games. Kirk Cousins even I'd feel better about than Baker Mayfield. What oh, yeah, do you they, want? They, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, what, what, what do you want your team, team to, to do? Make the yeah, so you think, oh. you think Kirk would like save him. So what do you want him to do with quarterback? Do you want him to get someone to compete with Baker, trade Baker, what? They got to do something, right? They got to do it because mm-hmm. one thing with Baker Mayfield is the floor, right? I, I've said this for a while. The ceiling is not a problem with Baker Mayfield, right? When Baker's playing good, He's playing good enough, right? That that he's not like the best quarterback in the NFL, but he's definitely like good enough to win with, right? Like he's at that Matt Stafford kind of level where it's like, hey man, he'll have some hot games, he'll have some okay games, but he's not gonna he's not gonna be a burden on your playoff chances or on your Super Bowl hopes when he plays good. The problem is is that when he's bad, he's awful. Like he's not just bad, he's awful. Um and it can get out of control, right? Like, if you look at PFF grades and QBR, if you point out the games in each that say that he has sub-starting games, if you look at the 2019 year where in the 2021 years where he was bad, it was like 11, 10 starts that are uh, below a starting level. If you look at the good years he's had 2018 and, you know, 2020 it's only like six starts that were bad below a starting level and that's on par with like a guy like russ i think the browns like if an upgrade's available if you feel like you can get to the super bowl with Kirk cousins yeah make the move you know i don't think there's much to worry about moving up off of i have questions like if Kirk cousins came here i know we would make the playoffs i don't know what we would do in the playoffs but i know we would make the playoffs right um, here's my question if, if i may would you make a matthew stafford level trade where you're like we'll give you two firsts and baker for kirk oh for kirk for, I, I know that sounds insane but would you do that <laughs> if you thought that would get you to a super bowl the same way the rams did would you make that trade because Undeniably, the Browns' roster is incredible. Like they're ready to win. They just need the quarterback. Would you trade I mean, your future Kirk, and your quarterback for Kirk Cousins? That's a tough one. That is that's a tough one too because Kirk's getting up there in age too. He's like what thirty four. So Stafford, some guys really. How bad yeah, do you want that Super Bowl? That's what I'm saying. Like if I I just see that's a good comparison though. Him and Stafford, they're pretty much pretty. Their number, Kirk's Kirk numbers are better actually. Yeah. If you yeah. look at Kirk's numbers historically, like they're actually like slightly better. Which numbers are everything? Yeah. Good. And it, and his help has been worse. Uh, if you mm-hmm. look at it, people don't understand. But he, he Kirk, the last four years has not had an offensive line that ranked higher in PFF pass blocking than yeah. like twenty seventh. And what do the Browns um, have? A great the offensive have the best, line. Yeah, so you can you can kind of uh, suggest that that would be I don't know, but the idea of trading two first for Kirk Cousins, <laughs> I like. It's just bad PR. That's a tough thing to slow. (laughs) That's one of those situations where you could be right tomorrow, but you're gonna be wrong the day you do it. Everybody's (laughs) not. Everybody's gonna pan that if you do it, but you might be right. But you know, it's not gonna be great the day you make that trade, right? You know, if it were like somebody like Russ, obviously, oh yeah, heartbeat, you'll do that. Like, not even question it. You know. Or even Aaron Rodgers or somebody like that. Yeah, of course, you know, you would do that. With Kirk, 
you know, because if that don't work, you're the team that traded two firsts for Kirk Cousins at age 34. Like, you know, I mean, that that's that's the only tough part of that. But do I think the Browns would, you know, if if they felt like they could get Kirk Cousins for a reasonable uh, compensation? I think Kevin would want to do it because Kirk is who Kevin wants at quarterback, a guy who's going to take care of the football, not make too many mistakes, not going to do too much, but also not going to do too little. That's that's exactly what Kevin wants. And, and you know, Baker kind of has some tendencies that are in opposition of what Kevin wants to do because Baker's a gunslinger. He wants to throw the ball downfield. Kevin don't want to risk it, you know. So mm. it it's an interesting proposition. I don't know. I, I got to think about that. Two firsts for Kirk Cousins, though. What I I hear you. It sounds crazy, but I think I don't think the Vikings want to get rid of him. So you got to convince them to do that. And I, I this just popped in my head. I'm like, well, could you compare that to Stafford? And I think it comes down to when you look back. You know, five years from now, you look back on this Browns team, which is we we both agree it's like a really good football team. And you're a quarterback short. Are you? Would you rather say we tried everything we could and didn't work? Or we didn't even – we were too afraid to take the risk and trade two first-round picks, which may or may not work out to get the guy that might put us over the top to win a Super Bowl. I would way rather them put all their chips on the table the same way the Rams did. It's just how much confidence do you have in your team around Kirk? And I'll say this, man. I, again, I'm not, I'm not really – I feel like I'm, I'm making it sound like I think it's a great idea. I think it's like a mediocre, like, 7 out of 10, 6 out of 10 idea. But I would love to see Kirk Cousins play with a good offensive line, which we haven't seen in a long, long time. So yeah, it's, it's I'm like, man, like I don't know. First year in Washington that he had a good offensive line. Um, but, yeah, it, it's an interesting proposition there because you could make the argument that Kirk is going to be a much better – like, Kirk is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield, like, right now, absolutely. Like, Kirk Cousins much better. And he's better than most people available. Like, who else is available? Mitchell Trubisky, Case Keenum. Like, what are your options? If you don't get Russ or Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson, which I don't think either of them are an option, it's like Matthew Stafford is really expensive and probably not going to get moved, or Kirk Cousins, maybe if you can convince them to make that trade. Who else is available? I don't think anyone else is. And the Vikings have – sorry, the the Browns have a quarterback problem – and I'm sorry, but Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, they're not going to solve that problem. They're just not. So Yeah, at least not this year. You know what I mean? They're no. Not, they're not those kind of prospects. I mean, like, with Kirk, oh, man, that's just that, – that, that's a gamble. It is a gamble, but, you know, it is the best possible gamble. You could also probably throw Derek Carr in there. Derek Carr is probably mm-hmm. just as shaky, right? He's a they're little bit younger. They're not moving him, though. Good luck yeah. getting him out of there. Eh, who knows? It's the Raiders. They 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 will do something. So so same you know proposition. I mean? Two firsts and Baker Mayfield for Derek Carr. Would you? Are they gonna take Baker? Yeah, two they're gonna take for Baker Derek Carr. I would consider that. I would I, I would strongly consider that. You would rather firsts. have Derek Carr than Kirk Cousins. I think that Kirk that Derek Carr has been in worse situations than Kirk. Mm. and gotten more out of them than mm. Kirk. And I think that I trust Derek Carr at the end of games a level more than I do Kirk. I don't think Derek yeah. will put up better numbers over a year than Kirk. Like, if Kirk Cousins came here, he will have, like, 
MVP type numbers if he came here and just played in the Browns offense and just, you know, they drafted a wide receiver and just threw that there with him and then boom. You, I think he'll have like an MVP level statistical year. Nobody's going to vote for him, but like he'll, he'll be in the conversation. Um, if Derek Carr came here, I think just I would have more confidence at the end of games, right? That's my worry with Kirk. Are we going to trade two first round picks for like a fourth quarter interception in the in the wild card round? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it gets like that with Kirk, right? Yeah. Like, when it, it gets shaky with him, mm. he starts to panic. You see his feet chopping. He got that Jimmy Garoppolo in him, right? When you knew Jimmy was going to throw a pick at the end of the game because you saw how bad, like how choppy his feet started to get. You're like, oh, he's jumpy. He's he's going to throw an interception. Like, we all know when that's going to happen. With Derek, that doesn't happen to him. So I would be more confident in that. Also, he's younger, right? So you don't worry about – because, like, sometimes guys play till they're 40 in the NFL – um, and then you have Joe Flacco's and Andy Dalton's who went from starting quarterbacks to relative like backups, like in a year, right? Like when they turn 32 each, they just fell off a cliff, right? So you don't know which one you're getting with that. Kirk at 34, I'm a little bit nervous about it. I would be less nervous about Derek Carr at 30 because I know that Derek's going to be better in them four-quarter situations. I think Derek would benefit from being in a situation with the Cleveland Browns where you're going to have a good defense, you're going to have a really good offensive line, you're going to have a great run game, and you're going to have good support. Um, and you're in a system that accentuates the strengths of Derek Carr, which is he has great arm talent. He's not going to be the most risky guy with the football. He's going to take some check downs, and we have elite check down guys for Derek Carr. So I would be more comfortable about it with Derek Carr just because – I don't know. There's less of a stigma with him as well. Well, so Kirk legitimately, in my opinion, has like an anxiety problem where in big moments, I think he tenses up rather than being that kind of guy with swagger who's relaxed. Derek Carr, Kirk is a nerdy Midwest dude. Derek Carr like actually legitimately has swag and like is is comfortable and confident and cool and relaxed. And I'd feel better about Derek Carr running my football team than Kirk Cousins. By the way, I'm curious. I hate saying the name Kirk Cousins. No shade, no offense to him. But, like, it just does not come out of the the mouth very easily. Am I I wrong about that? Like, Kirk Cousins is just a clunky name. It's one of those names that you could use for, like, comedic effect, too. It's like, come on, (laughs) Kirk Cousins. Like, it's just real funny to say Kirk Cousins in a way. You know, it's like he's Kirk Cousins. Like, that's what you get. He going to go Kirk. Captain Kirk, like his nickname is hilarious. Like it's just one, like you ever have one of those guys, like you meet at work in like an office scenario and they have a name and it just feels real good to say like, shut up plus their names. Like shut up, Kirk. It just feels good. You know what I mean? Like it just don't make sense, but it just feels good to just be like, oh yeah, here come Kirk Cousins. Like it's just a funny name. And you know, Derek Carr, like you, you, you don't hear as many of the jokes with him. But it's the same thing with Matthew Stafford, right? Like, Matthew Stafford was the king of, like, oh, he's good. Look, Matthew Stafford going to have three games where you don't believe he's Matthew Stafford no more. But he will remind you at some point, that's Matthew Stafford, right? Like, you know, not <laughs> not like he's terrible. But, you know, Matt's going to have those stretches where he has, like, three great games. And you're like, yeah, he's top five. And he has, like, a two-pick six game. You're like, oh, yeah, I forgot Matt does this too, you know. Yeah, that Titans um, game was brutal. Yeah. Did you watch the Titans-Rams game this year? Oh, yeah, he had a couple of them. He had, like, three back of them in a row this passes, year, right? man, yeah. yeah. He threw a, a pick six and then another interception, like, on back-to-back passes, and you're like, Jesus Christ, like, what is happening with this guy? 
that's been Matt Stafford his whole career, though. You know, it's yeah. like if people forget, and I think it's going to get rewritten because he won the Super Bowl. Good on him, right? You know, he's going to probably get into a Hall of Fame because of that. But, you know, people forget. I, I get people on Twitter telling me he was top five or top seven. I'm like, when when Drew Brees, Peyton Matt, like, like when legitimate superstars were in the league, you're telling me he was top five in that era? No, that's ridiculous. Like, Matt Stafford has always been the dude that, like, you know, you kind of worry about him messing it up. At the end of the day, that's and why that's I would what the say. Rams were worried about. Yeah, in the third quarter of that Super Bowl, was Matt Stafford messing it up because there, there's nothing that explains them running the ball for inches of grass with Cam Akers not getting nothing all game. Sam Hubbard's been in their backfield all game, but Sean McVay don't want to throw the ball because he knows that there is not enough wide receiver play out here to save him. So he's like, ah man, let me not have Kirk Cousins happen to me. Not, not Kirk Cousins. Let me not have Matthew Stafford have one of Matthew. Stafford games, you know what I mean? No disrespect to him. It's just, you know, you got to worry about that because you know he's more than capable of, of of throwing that thing up. He had, what, two interceptions? They weren't bad interceptions in the Super Bowl. No. But they were still just like, yeah, it's just, you know, it was tough. But you know Matt Stafford's going to throw you an interception. I get nervous if I had Matt Stafford on my team and he had not thrown an interception in a while going into a big game because that tells me he's due. I get the same feeling with Baker Mayfield. I'm like, man, he ain't throwing an interception in like eight weeks and we go into a playoff game. I'm worried because I know that he's going to throw an interception. Like, it's just it's one of those things. You're going to regress to the mean eventually. It's when, not if. Well, that's what I say. I think trading for Kirk Cousins is equally crazy as trading for Matthew Stafford. Like, if you look at it and you fail with Matthew Stafford, can you imagine the criticism they would have gotten? If he, like, against the Buccaneers had four interceptions and they lost or two pick sixes or something crazy, and you're like, you really traded away your your quarterback and two first-round picks, your future, for Matthew Stafford, and it didn't work out. It's the same proposition with Kirk Cousins. Like, it's equally, quote, crazy if it doesn't work, Mm -hmm. but it did work, and maybe it could work for the Browns. I just – I don't know what else the Browns are going to do, and Kirk really might be their best option. I would say the one difference between Kirk and Matt is, like, when Matt has a meltdown, it's not because it's the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? Like, it's just because he's having a terrible game. Like, he just – it starts out bad. It ends bad. It just is bad, the whole Mm. thing, right? So, you don't think his issues are fourth quarter related. That's the same thing with Derek Carr. Derek Carr is more than capable of having a meltdown too, right? People just don't know about it because they ain't been paying attention about the Raiders. But he he will have some bad games throughout the year, right? But they're not bad games because he was in a clutch situation. They're just bad games. Think about Kirk. Is when he has bad games, it's like because he's on prime time, or it's like it's the fourth quarter and he tried to do too much, and then he started forcing it. Like that worries me more with Kirk, where I'm like, why do these things happen? The amount of like crucial interceptions kill me, man. We're Baker, we're sorry, we're Kirk Cousins. Fourth down, end of the game, he got the ball, down four, chance to win, pick six, and you're like, of course. Yeah. Like, how many times that happened? It's happened a lot with Kirk. It's happened a lot with Baker, right? Well, not with the pick sixes, mm. but where he's thrown a last drive interception, right? I think, you know, the shocking thing to look at it, when you look at the fourth quarter splits, Kirk Cousins looked like Tom Brady's next to uh, Baker Mayfield's uh, trailing and behind fourth <laughs> quarter. Like, honestly, like, they're bad splits for Baker Mayfield there. Um, I I was unaware of how awful it was until I saw it. So, you know, you got a problem there. It's like it would be less of a problem than what you have with Baker Mayfield at the end of those games. But it's still going to be an issue. Again, Kirk Cousins, I would feel great. Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. The Browns would probably be favorites to win the division. You know, they would definitely be in the playoffs. 
probably get to the divisional round. But after that, I would have major concerns about, you know, how far they can go with Kirk Cousins. Derek Carr, I feel like if he if you get him here and he plays well enough for you to get to the playoffs, probably probably can get to the Super Bowl with him, right? Like, you know, you probably unlock something there. Let me rationalize it further. I, I'm sorry to double down, but I have to. So you trade two firsts and Baker for Kirk Cousins. If you trade one first for Kirk, you're still going to be a good football team. So the next two draft picks are probably going to be late first round picks anyway. So let's assume you're giving up the 23rd through 32nd round, you know, overall pick. I, I don't know why you wouldn't give up two of those to get Kirk Cousins. I, I mean, what I'm hearing from you is it's going to solve a lot of their problems. And if you think about it, like, what are you really giving up? It sounds bad. But, oh, no, you gave up the 27th overall pick and then the 30th overall pick, and you didn't win a Super Bowl, but you got a great quarterback, and you went a lot farther than you would have anyway. Am I making sense? Oh, you make sense, but, like, you forget, this team's in Cleveland, man. Like, like things just go wrong. <laughs> like, like you know what I mean? that's what we have to factor in, right? Like, you know, if we trade for Kirk Cousins, like, the logical thing is that that's what's going to happen. <laughs> but it could also be that she just falls off a cliff. She's terrible, and we gave away the first overall pick for Kirk Cousins. Like, you know, that that's why oh, I say Oh, no. Yeah, yeah no, you're right. You're yeah, totally right, though. Yeah, and this is why I say, if I'm Andrew Barry, you got to be aware of that when you go into these trade negotiations because, look, man, a first-round pick from us ain't the same thing as a first-round pick from Pittsburgh because you're playing the lottery with the Browns' first-round pick. We, you, This first-round oh. pick might get you 30 in 2023. It might get you Bryce Young. You know what I mean? Like, it could be either way. So, one of our first-round picks are worth two of any other franchise's first-round picks because, like, it can just go wrong. Like, you know, with Kirk Cousins, I do not put it above uh, Kirk Cousins to fall into the hole that that has been bad luck in Cleveland and just end up falling off a cliff. Like, that's why the age worries me with him a bit more. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, oh, it's Cleveland. Like, it could go bad in a certain amount of ways, and you have to be aware of that. And that's where I'm nervous. It's like, man, that, that Kirk Cousins trade could be a disaster. And since it's Kirk Cousins, it will never be a disaster that people forget. You make that trade for Derek Carr, people will be like, oh, you took a chance on a young guy. You make that trade for Kirk Cousins at 34 and he fall off a cliff, you're going to be the idiots that traded for a 34-year-old Kirk Cousins and gave away like two top 10 picks for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? Can I ask you a, a tough question? Like, I, I, I mean nothing yeah. against it, but I can ask you. I, is that a bit or is that real? Like, is there really an attitude in Cleveland of like, well, we're the Browns. Like, you never know. Is that really like a real thing? Yeah, yeah, because I don't think the pa- the Patriots certainly aren't like well, no. you know, the Patriots. Pa- nobody thinks that way other than maybe Cleveland and Detroit, well, I, the the poor Lions fans. The teams that have seen things not go their way year after year, like you know, I think what the Cowboys fans are pretty. Cowboy fans are one of two flavors, right? They're either overconfident or they're under, or they're like this, <laughs> right? Like they're they're like, oh man, we always look like it's either one of those two flavors. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like we do factor that in because. You know, we get nervous when the team has high expectations because we've seen it go wrong so many times. Like mm-hmm. the Browns in 95, right? It goes back all the way to that. 95, they were supposed to be Super Bowl contenders. We had Bill Belichick and Nick Saban on the same coaching staff. You know, we just signed Andre <laughs> Risen. Like, you know, we, we got the team of the decade, people are saying, on Sports Illustrated. And then the season ends with the team being moved to Baltimore. Like, things just go wrong here sometimes, right? And... You know, I think that's why a lot of people, when they see the success that Joe Burrow's having in Cincinnati and they see what he is doing and, like, how things have gone wrong about him, around him, why they're, like, why they wish they could have gotten somebody like that because things just go wrong around Joe Burrow and it just seems like it's just fine with him most of the time. Um, 
But in, but in Cleveland, like, you know, if you're going to be the quarterback here, it's going to go wrong. Like, something's going to go wrong at some point. Like, that just is what it is here. Like, stuff goes wrong all the time. Odell gets traded here. He gets put in a terrible system, tears his ACL, you know, and it never ends up going the same the way you thought it would. Things just going to go wrong. You have to be have a special mindset to be able to work with that, right? I think it's the same way in Philly where you just kind of adjust for that. Like, okay, things are going to go wrong. Things aren't going to go my way. How do I handle that? And, again, when we talk about the two different quarterbacks we're talking about here, who do you think is more equipped to handle when things go wrong? Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, or Baker Mayfield? I would say Derek Carr in that conversation. Uh, Baker Mayfield has a tendency to let the chaos run over him um, because he gets too consumed with it. And, you know, it's just a thing here in Cleveland, man. Stuff's going to go wrong at some point. Uh, we have bad luck. Like, it is what it is. But we just need somebody who just doesn't care. You know what I mean? And sometimes mm. we get wrapped up into it. You can, Like, I don't know if you've ever been to a Browns game at the stadium. Uh, but I, I encourage you to go because, like, wait till you go there. You'll feel what I'm talking about once there's a terrible penalty called, like in the first quarter. You'll just feel that energy in the stadium. I can't really describe it better than that, but you'll just be standing there like, oh, oh, I feel the avalanche of bad about to happen. Like, and I, I, I can't stop it. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's just, it just some, it's something there. You know, I don't, I'm not, think it's like anything supernatural i just think it's just the burden of losing that much that happens there but yeah it's just something where you just worry about that going wrong because when you cleveland browns fan you used to things not going your way and instead of looking at the kirk cousins thing logically or how the best case scenario you have to keep an eye on how can this blow up in my face you know when you <laughs> when you open enough stink bombs you check the package that's all i'm saying two two things man first of all Derek Carr, look at how wrong things went last year in Vegas, and they still made it to the playoffs. Like, Man, Derek that? Carr clearly can handle anything. Man. Two, it sounds like it's an entire fan base of people that just have PTSD. I feel so bad for you guys, and I can't blame <laughs> you either. That's, that's a sad thing. It's like I actually totally get it. If I'm a Browns fan, I would be like, yeah, we're probably going to screw this up. <laughs> What's that? It's like you hope they don't <laughs> screw it up, but it's like – Okay, how can this go wrong? Like you, you gotta look at it like because I know some like when you, when Patriots fans get a hold of Randy Moss, they say how can this go wrong and legitimately mean that because how could we're the Patriots, we have Tom Brady and we just got like Randy a, Moss. How could this go wrong? And how I'm could like, it no, go no, wrong? No, no, really. How could this go wrong? Like Browns but fans we, are like, no, no. How? How is it gonna go wrong? Like, yeah, well, you're a Brown fan. Like you have no choice but to be skeptical of this because mm. it's like. This can go wrong. Like we have the, the ideal that it can't go wrong. That's been busted from us from a very young age. We've seen it go wrong. We know it can go wrong. It's like what can happen to make it go wrong? Like is everything in line? Like you're just constantly checking things. Is this right? All right, we got that right. And 2021, I'm not gonna lie, made it worse because we did all of that. We checked. We're like, you know, the quarterback had a really good run at the end of the year. He did it in the playoffs. All right, he's cool. All right, I um, mean, line cool. Oh, uh, pieces cool. All right, Odell, that that could be something that go wrong. And that was part of the tension all years. People were looking at Odell like that's gonna be what goes wrong with his offense before he did anything, good or bad, and, and all that pressure was on him. Um, and then you know. Stuff went wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it just fell apart. 
Is it a self-fulfilling prophecy, though, too, where the fan base gives Baker, you know, they give OBJ a ton of crap and they give Baker a ton of crap and it, think it pulls him down? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it definitely happened with Odell this year where it's just like, you know, so much, so much of the pressure. I don't even think it was just locally. So much of the pressure with Odell coming back wasn't about whether he could come back and play well. Right. Like that, that's what that wasn't what we were talking about. It was this ideal or this conversation of if him coming back, period, was going to hurt the team. Like, could you imagine that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, yeah. if you were in that situation and, and you're trying to rehab and all anybody is talking about is how you go hurt the team by working hard to come back. That's toxic, know? man. That's really toxic. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's not a good situation. And look, I know people like athletes don't want to pay attention to these things at some time, but it leaks in. And if if people don't think that that conversation, right, that constant push of, oh, Baker might be better without Odell, didn't get into the heads of some of the principal characters and a lot of the drama that happened in Cleveland Brown season, they're kidding themselves, right? Like, you know, if, I think Odell had it in the back of his head that he could be the problem here, right? And that, and he felt like the problem here. And I think Baker had it in the back of his head that Odell was the problem. I think the coaching staff had it in the mm. back of his head. Maybe Odell's the problem, right? And it became this whole thing. We're like, oh, okay, Odell comes back. The offense isn't looking good. Instead of being like, hey, let's get the ball to Odell more, they're thinking maybe it's Odell. Maybe we need to put Anthony Schwartz in more. And you know, when you Odell Beckham and they're putting in Anthony Schwartz over you to run a play designed for Anthony Schwartz, that's got to be disrespectful, right? Like, that's that's not going to be seen well. It's just a lot of things just went into that situation. But I think that perception um, and that basis of it, like, we weren't talking about Odell coming back and whether he could play well. We were talking about Odell coming back and whether he was going to hurt the team. And that mm. that was a conversation I felt like was never going to have a positive end unless the coaching staff really was aware that that conversation was out there and that they needed to make sure and nip that in the bud, right? If Andy Reid has a situation like this where they're like, oh, the team's better without Tyreek Hill, you know what Andy Reid's going to do? Throw the ball to Tyreek Hill a million times to prove a point. They'll be like, hey, man, get off Tyreek's back. You know what I mean? Um that's just kind of what great coaches do. They're aware of things that might be lingering, mindsets that might be lingering in the locker room, and they try to nip those things in the bud by, you know, giving those things less fuel to talk about. And I think Kevin had a learnable moment this year where he knew that stuff was in the air, but he just kind of ignored it and tried to not pay it attention until it got to the point to where he had to release one of the better wide receivers in football. Mm. You know, the one thing we haven't talked about yet from last year is that you know, it's a team with Super Bowl expectations. I thought they were going to go thirteen and four, win their division. Injuries really hurt this football team. Like that, if there's one thing that went really clearly wrong last year, it's that you know Jedrick Wills gets hurt. People got hurt early on, and it really derailed a lot of stuff they were doing. In your opinion, how did injuries affect this football team? Oh yeah, I think one of the underrated things about this team is that the injury of our backup swing guy, uh, Chris Hubbard was mm-hmm. one of the biggest injuries of the year because he plays guard both sides and he plays tackle both sides. He's the backup for like five different positions. Um, and he went out and Jedrick went out and that left us with dudes off the practice squad being the left tackle for, for a while there. Conklin went out 
basically for the whole year. It's like five different injuries, but he would come back for like three plays and then get hurt again and then come back and then get hurt right in the first quarter again. So he was basically out for the year. I think he played like one full game this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the the injury at tackle definitely played a factor in it. And I think what really made this thing go off the wheels was the Hubbard injury. And I could say that because last year they had a bunch of injuries on the offensive line but not at the same time and same position. And they had Hubbard so they could just plug him in at whatever position that they needed to. Um, and he would be competent, but not having him meant that you had to go to replacement level players for like multiple positions on the offensive line. And, you know, the interior is great, but it, it takes five on that line to really do anything. And they just didn't have five a lot of the time um, on that offensive line. We even like when Jedrick Wills did play, he was playing hurt. Like you could see, I mean, he would go in and out of games and like he was trying, but similar to Jack Conklin, like it, there was no way Jedrick Wills was 100% at all really the entire mm-hmm. year last year. Yeah, he had the ankle injury. It really hurt him, I think, at the start of the year. I think at the end of the year, he looked fine. Um, but at the start of the year, yeah, he, he couldn't even get to his third or fourth step. That was a situation where I'm like, all right, he legitimately doesn't need to be on the football field. And then they took him off the football field after yeah. that game, right? Where, yeah. where I think it was the Arizona game where it's like, okay, he can't, mm-hmm. he can't get upfield right now. He needs to not play. And they took him out for a couple of weeks. That's right. He got dominated by, I think, Chandler Jones, or maybe that was a Titans game. There was some game where the, the Cardinals just went off. And I think it might No, no, it was. It was the Browns. Yeah, that was, it was either the Browns. It was, either, it was either that game or the game we had against the Patriots. It, both were blowouts. Both were awful. Um, mm-hmm. So they kind of mushed together both in my head. But I think it was the Cardinals game where I was watching Jedrick. I was like, okay, he can't even get to his third step. He's not. Mm-hmm. And there's no use of having him out there. I uh, Man, I've reached the end of my notes uh, about the Browns. But can I ask you a question about you as a content creator? Because you, you're self-employed. Like, you're – you're a full-time content creator. I've got nothing but respect. I know how hard that is to do that. Can we talk about you as a creator a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I tell a story. When I was in college, and I'm trying to set you up, I slept under my desk for like two years trying to like make content, trying to do as much as I could to make my, my show grow. What are, what's something you did early on, and like what sacrifices did you make to become a full-time content creator? See, I've been... I've always, like, since YouTube came out in, like, 2006, I remember I was, like, 2007 or 8, I was, like, on the platform, like, not making Mm. videos like I do now, but I would make, like, videos in in different genres where I'm, like, oh, okay, you know, this is back in the day, you just made YouTube videos just for fun, right? You know, it wasn't, like, this whole career that it is now. (laughs) Uh, I remember, like, the that was before the partner program got rolled out. You're like rate five stars, but I've always been somebody who has been like on YouTube watching a ton of YouTube. Right. Um, and I got bored one day, made the Colin Coward video and I saw that I got traction and I've seen enough YouTube to know this is my window, right? Like you, you get those moments in life where you're like, Windows open, go through it. Go through it right now. Like, you know, and I was like, okay, I'm uploading every week at the very least, right? I'm uploading every week. Um, And then those started to get more traction. I'm like, okay, three times a week, right? And then, you know, that started to look promising enough to where I was like, okay, I'll save up some money from my day day job and just go full time and just see see what uploading five to seven days a week, what that would get me because I did the math on it. And, you know, the numbers worked out and... You know, people wanted more content, so you're able to do more content. You know, 
the biggest advice I can give to anybody who ever wants to create content is just make it. You know, I think sometimes mm. we just we get so caught up in the creative process of planning, right, that we get overwhelmed or overwhelm ourselves um, with, oh, well, now I got to make this video the most perfect video ever. And then I want to do this and I don't know how to do that. And just you overwhelm yourself when you think about it too much, when at the end of the day, you just got to make a video, man. Like I wanted to, I wanted to react to what Colin Coward was saying. So I just made a reaction video basically to Colin Coward and what he said um, and did that. And it turned out right. You know, just make the videos that you want to, that you search for that nobody else made, make that video. um, And, you know, just do it. Like that's, that's the best advice that anybody can give as a content creator is just, you just got to do it. And once you do it, you know, it's a lot less difficult than than what it means to get there, right? Like, I'm pretty sure you've had it when, you know, you were playing quarterback, right? Where it's like sometimes the, the thought of playing quarterback, right, is such an overwhelming thought. You got to know uh, different line protections. You got to be able to identify defenses, coverages, memorize the entire playbook, know every route on every concept that you're going to run, know what the primary read is, know what the secondary is, know what to do. You have to do it all while under pressure, all while only having three seconds at most to make that decision. And if you think about it too much, that might be like, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to play DN and just hit people. Like, you know? But I'm pretty sure for you, you know, you got to the college level and you were once you started doing it, once you just started playing quarterback. Right. It just it was a lot easier than thinking about it. Mm. And that's what content creation is. You know, just doing it is a lot easier than thinking about it, because thinking about it, you know, you get paralysis by overanalysis. You know, you just won't ever do it. I know so many people who hit me up. Hey, man, I want to start a YouTube channel. I'm always down to help them out. Um, but then when it comes time to make the video, they're oh, I'm waiting for this and I'm waiting for that. And I'm waiting for that. And I'm like, just make the video, man. Just just go out, make it, see if anybody likes it. Nobody likes it. Who cares? Nobody liked it. Like nobody, nobody saw it. So it doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, just just go out there and do it. That That's the best advice. You know, people will tell you you need to do all this extra stuff before you do it. Just do it and you'll learn. You know, yeah. the Internet's rough. When I first part put it out videos, man. Browns fans hated me, right? They're like, this guy's terrible. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I had to figure it out, right? Like, I had to, I had to figure it out for myself um, and, and adjust. And that's what it's about. You can't, you can't get better. You can't adjust if you never do. And that's always the most important part. Yeah. Just get started, then get better, right? Like, as you're going, because yeah. you, you, I've learned so many lessons from, like, if I hadn't ever started, I wouldn't have ever learned those lessons, basically, where you're like, I didn't know I needed to edit this way or do lighting that way. If I never sat down and made a video, I never would have learned the stuff I needed to do. So I, I think it's great advice, man. Um, I, you don't know if you stink if you don't ever try. <laughs> like, <laughs> True. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Man, I love talking to you. I had so much fun. Um, is there anything else you want to say or talk about? I, I'm I'm a, I'm open to, to keep talking, but I, I just had a great time talking about the Browns and hearing a little bit of your story. Definitely, definitely, man. Um let me see if I can think about anything more. I just try to leave every what stone. What do you think unturned. about? Go ahead. What do you think about Perry? Have, well, have you? How deep have you gotten into the draft talk? Um, not a lot, but I, I, I can talk a little bit. All right. There's a player. I'm going to put it out here. And look, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. 
was a player, Perion Winfrey, defensive tackle, had an excellent senior bowl for uh, Oklahoma. People are saying he's a second-round pick. I think he's going to be one of the top 15 players in this year's draft. Now, I could be wrong about that, but I just I feel it in my gut that this dude's going to be really good. I mean, if you watch the tape, he's one of those guys that you don't really got to have the highlight over. You know what he's doing. You know where he's at just because of how he plays. Very physical, explosive guy, just energy out the wazoo. Loves to fight. Um, you know, like people love Trevor Panic because of his will to fight. This guy, Perion Winfrey, does um, love to fight. But that, that's my that's my draft crush this mm. year is Perion. So that's you calling your shot. Have you developed? Yeah. Have you developed a draft crush? Because last year my draft crush was JOK. This year is Perion. Mm. Do you have one, or did you have one last year? Man, I, I thought it was Malik Willis. I really loved the guy. Um, and I the more I've watched his tape, he's incredibly gifted, but he's not as fast as I thought. He's not as big as I thought. Like, I was comparing him to Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, and I'm, I'm not mm. sure that's a great – like, he's the most talented guy, you know, at the quarterback position in the draft, but I'm like, I don't – I don't know. I, I've been pretty disappointed the more I've watched him on these quarterbacks, and I'm just like, I don't – I don't really love any of them. I probably would draft Malik Willis above anybody else, but um, I think that's maybe my my only opinion so far is that I'm pretty underwhelmed and I'm disappointed at how underwhelmed I am. Like I'm I'm worried that there's not even a starting quarterback next year uh, in in this draft class, and I, I think Malik Willis could become one with enough time to sit and learn. But I he's really raw, and then everyone else like Kenny Pickett. I, I respect the guy, but it, he. He's just very limited, and I'm like, I, we don't need more Jimmy Garoppolo's running around. Oh, no. Um, with Malik, here's the thing I ask with Malik Willis. Yeah. The ideal is, like, you sit him for, like, if people say a year. I think he's probably a two-year sit guy, right? Yeah. Like, he's, he ain't going to be ready anytime soon. He is raw, raw. I think he needed another year in college. Probably, like, one of those, like, transfer situations, but he already transferred. Um, with Malik. With that, knowing that that's going to be the thing, right? Are you better off taking Malik Willis and, and waiting two years? Or are you better off just not drafting anybody and just hoping you can get Bryce Young? Mm. So, like, if you you're a I mean? bad team, you mean, if, like, if you're, like, Detroit or... Could you imagine, <sighs> like, imagine if you're a team that took a chance, like you're Denver or something, right? You took a chance on Malik Willis, and you're like, hey, we're going to see what this is in two years. And in two years... You're about to find out about Malik Willis, but you're also a bad enough team where you have an opportunity to draft. Two years wouldn't be Bryce Young, but it'd be like Caleb Williams, right? Let's say Caleb Williams is the number one overall pick, and he looks like a, a, a stud, like a legit stud prospect. But you have Malik Willis on the roster for the last two years who you spent a first-round pick on, but you've been developing him, right? It's like the Jordan Love situation, right? Um Are you, are you putting your team in a better situation by drafting that dude? That you might be ready. Like, I'd be honest with you. I don't care how many years I had Malik Willis on the roster. If I had the opportunity to draft Caleb Williams in two years, I would take it over that. I yeah. think he's just a better prospect right now. Uh, and that's the question with Malik Willis. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a decent enough prospect, and he's a wait-and-see prospect. But unless you're, like, unless you think, unless you have a quarterback right now who you know for a fact you're going to be, like, a contender for the next two years with, you can end up in a real bad situation taking a dude like Malik Willis because, you know, you're going to have a guy that's going to prevent you from taking quarterbacks that maybe you should want to take. Mm, well, and also, are you going to put him on the field before he's ready? I mean, that's the cardinal sin with that guy is 
he he's just not getting through progressions. Like I, I can't really find much film of him getting to his third or fourth read, like working all the way across the field. It's a lot of like, I like what I see or I don't, and I'm taking off. And I, I, he's just he's just not processing the game at an NFL level yet. Um, he's physically gifted, but if he goes to Carolina, for example, it's going to be real tempting like week eight to put him in, and I don't think he'll be ready by then. And, and that's where I'm concerned is he goes to Washington, he goes to Pittsburgh, he goes to Carolina. I think Pittsburgh would be a great situation. If you go to Pittsburgh, sit behind maybe a Jimmy Garoppolo-type quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, someone like that, that's the dream scenario. But week eight or nine, you're going to want to put him in, and that would be a massive mistake in my opinion. Yeah, and the thing is is that he's – like if if you're comparing him to Kenny Pickett and everybody else, like he's clearly the guy that you would take first, yeah. right? But – He's not the guy that you need to take first, like, to be successful. Like, you don't want to – the earlier he goes, the worse that is for him because the higher the expectation is for him to play. Like, he's a dude that needs to be drafted, like, late in the first round by a team that nobody is thinking is going to take a quarterback, right? Like, yeah. that's who like, – like, Seattle or something like that. Like, they got Russ for the next two years. They take Malik Willis as, as a flyer at the end of the first round. That's a team that makes sense for him because you know for a fact nobody's going to be like, yeah, man, we need to put Malik Willis in over Russell the, Wilson. The best fit, the very best place Malik Willis could go, now that I think about it, is Atlanta. Matt Ryan's going to be 37 in, I, I believe, June. He's 36 now, 37 next year. He's got probably two, two maybe three years left in Atlanta. They're a mid-first-round pick. They'd be a great spot for Malik Willis to go to, to sit, learn behind a guy, and develop. What are you going to say? It's a great idea, but also, like, we got to think about other elements. He's going to be wearing number seven in Atlanta. He, 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 he's, he's a very athletic quarterback. I think more people would want him to start faster than, mm. than, than uh, what people would think. Like, I know they like Matt, Staff, Matt Ryan, but they really love Mike Vick, right? Yeah. And this dude is openly, like, opening – T- taking those comparisons and, and it only take one preseason game right for him to do those things that we can we seen him do athletically he's a real twitchy dude where he can make somebody miss and that's going to intoxicate the fan base that's going to intoxicate mm-hmm. the ownership and then all of a sudden you're trying to put you we call him the next mike vick and then he's out there in week eight over Matt ryan you know what i mean like he needs to go somewhere where there's no chance he could play in two years. And there's also no chance that that team in two years has a top 10 pick because I think infinitely there's going to be better quarterback prospects next year, the year after, and the year after that than there are this year. This is one of those, like, it reminds me of the 2013 draft where, like, E.J. Manuel went first <laughs> in that draft. Yeah. Where it was just nobody. Yeah. It was just absolutely nobody. You know what I mean? Uh, was that the Geno Smith I year? think so. I think that was the Geno Smith year. Yeah, where Geno waited in the you, – you know how mad you got to be at Geno Smith that you waited in the, the whole first round? One of the worst drafts of NFL history and you the dude that slid to the second round? Like, Man. Well, you know, there, there's two thoughts I have real quick is that, A, if you're a team like Atlanta who's rebuilding and you have a quarterback already. So the best scenario Malik Willis could go to is a team that already has a quarterback. But if you already have a quarterback – you're probably spending your first round pick on a player that's going to impact your team next year, so you're better immediately. So he's going to go somewhere that needs a quarterback because otherwise you're not going to spend a pick on the guy. The team I would keep your eye on is the New York Giants because we saw Brian Dable work with Josh Allen. Remember Josh Allen, how 
incredibly gifted he was in college, but also how incredibly raw he was. And if you're a confident coach, if I'm Brian Dable, I'm like, I know I can help this guy. I, I took Josh Allen and turned him into an elite quarterback. I can take a guy with the skill set of Malik Willis and teach him how to play quarterback at a high level. So if you're a confident coach who believes in your ability and you like what he's putting on tape, as his athletic ability, his arm strength, stuff like that, then you might see a team like New York with Brian Dable, who's got Daniel Jones already, so there's no pressure immediately for him to play. They could take Malik Willis, and that, that would actually be not surprising to me at all if they did that. Yeah, I mean, that's he's going to be a... I'm interested to see where he goes and what he ends up doing wherever he goes. Because, I mean, this is this is basically what we're talking about. He's the Jordan Love of this draft class, except for Jordan Love wasn't the only quarterback in that draft class, right? There were, like, a bunch of quarterbacks <laughs> yeah. in that draft. But Jordan Love was the guy who are like, he's super raw, but he has a great arm talent, right? That was the whole argument about Jordan Love coming out of, what, Utah State? Um, was mm-hmm. that, hey, man, we don't know what this competition's like, but we know he's talented. And, you know, if you let him sit for a while and he ended up going to Green Bay, which was as good of a situation for him because he ain't have to play that much. Now, they're at a situation where I don't think that they think that's going to pan out. So they're just trying to keep Aaron Rodgers as long as possible. But that was probably the best spot for him. But the thing with Jordan Love was that he was like the fourth or fifth quarterback in that draft class. This is a draft class in which Jordan Love would have been the number one overall pick or something like that. And that, that I as a and look, I told you earlier as a Browns fan, you look for how this can go wrong. I'm seeing a lot of how this can go wrong with 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 uh, Malik Wills because he's going to be the first guy to go once this once the combine happens. That that's going to be a wrap, right? He's going to run like a four five mm-hmm. four six or something like that, um, and, and it's going to be a wrap, you know, because Kenny Pick is probably going to run like a. Kenny Pickett probably went like a four seven, four eight, right? You think he's a four eight guy, right? Something like that. I mean, he definitely can run, but not at a high level. He's kind of like a he can get out of the pocket if he needs to. He had that long run against uh Wake whoever Forest? they played in like their final game of the year. I think yeah. so, yeah. Like he had like a sixty two yard touchdown run where he like faked the slide. And by the way, I don't think he was faking a slide. I think he was considering sliding that didn't. I don't think yeah. it was like a actual move he made, but um you know, I I'm curious because Malik Willis is Oh man, I, I I really, really just I would love to get in a room with him and try to get his mindset because a lot of this for a quarterback working out, it's how hard are they willing to work. Baker Mayfield is a guy who I think at times has been unwilling to take criticism and make changes to his game, where Josh Allen has made so many drastic changes to his game and clearly does a lot of the work in the offseason. Mm. I'd want to talk to Malik Willis face to face and say, and just kind of get, you can't, he'll say the right stuff, but do you believe it when he says it? Is he really a guy who loves the game and is motivated to do the, the work and the lonely work and the stuff that it takes to get better in the off season when people aren't watching? Cause like Dwayne Haskins is posting videos about how he's working out and throwing, but like he clearly hasn't been doing enough of the work it takes to play quarterback. Joe Burrow doesn't ever talk about the stuff he does, but he's getting monumentally better. So when you talk to Malik Willis, is he doing the work to get better? That's that's what I'd want to get from him. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that matters, right? I think with Baker, we get into this. A lot of people get into the conversation. Oh, he, he's Drew Brees was wasn't that great uh, his first four years, and then he got better. And it's like well, Baker Mayfield does not work like Drew Brees. Drew Brees is Drew Brees was a maniac. You know, there's stories about him like yeah. blindfolded, throwing footballs in garages so he can learn passing windows. Like he was he was. 
again, Drew Brees is going to be one of the most underrated because his whole career was in the shadow of Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Aaron mm. Rodgers, right? Like, he never mm. had that moment where they could he could just be the guy. But he was amazing. People are always going to sleep on how good Drew Brees was. Um, but, yeah, like, Drew Brees was a maniac. When it came to that stuff, Baker is not a maniac, right? And you have to find those guys. You know, there's somebody who doesn't get credit for being a maniac that I think has also got a little bit of that, like, I'll do anything to get better at football in him. It's going to sound wild, but I think Jameis. Jameis is a guy who willing to do anything. I'll get LASIK. You know what I mean? I'll do whatever exercise you tell me to do that's going to make me better at quarterback because that's what I think is going to make me better. I like that trade out of guys. It doesn't guarantee you that the guy is going to be good or make sound decisions. We know that Jameis is capable of throwing 30 interceptions in a season. Um, but it does make you feel more secure. And that's that's been one of the issues that the Browns have run into with Baker. Where it's like, you know, how much work are you really willing to put into this? Like we're seeing Josh Allen um, to fix his feet. That's what Josh's problem was, right? Inaccuracy. His feet were terrible. What did he do? He just worked on the feet all summer. I, at, so, at some point... And to a point that I feel like Brian Dayball got some of the credit by proxy of, of Josh Allen working so hard, right? Like, they're yeah. like, oh, my oh, gosh, yeah. what happened for Josh Allen? I'm like, Josh Allen just went maniac mode in the offseason. You know, he just decided mm. he's going to work on everything. And, and that's awesome, right? With Baker, with, you know, with other guys, it's, it's not the case. And you really want to know that, right? Because with the dude who's going to need as much work as Malik Willis, you have to – you know, one, look at his progression from – you want to look at his progression from year one at Auburn to year two at Liberty to year three at Liberty or year one or two. I don't, he was at Liberty for two years in Auburn for one. Um, look at the progression there. Did he did he progress significantly? Um, if he didn't, that's a key sign that, like, maybe he don't got that in him, right? You know, Kenny Pickett might be a safer bet to some people because they could see the progression – from his third year to his fourth year. I worry because he's been in college forever and he only had the one good year. That's worrisome to me. Um, there's somebody I think is a little bit of a sleeper, Caleb Ellerby, who might be an interesting prospect because if you look at the improvement, he made a huge leap from year two to year three as a 20-year-old um, quarterback. And I think he's an interesting prospect. Where does he play? I've never heard of him. Western Michigan. Huh. He, uh, he beat, Put him on my list. Bit, yeah, he beat Pitt this year. Um, he beat Pitt at Pitt, I think, um, with Kenny Pickett out there. They had like a wow. huge, yeah, like a high scoring game there. He has some great numbers out there. Not the most physically impressive guy. Like he's the same kind of size profile as like a Baker Mayfield, you know, 205, 225 or 205, six foot. But some interesting stuff there for him, right? I think he's real underrated in that respect. So he's somebody to look at. But yeah, that, that's the thing with Malik, right? Like, you got to really get into a room and like, how dedicated is this dude to getting better? Like, is this dude going to be like crazy about getting better? Because it's really the only way that that works out for you. If if this guy is going to take his success into his own hands and really be a maniac about it, right? That's what Tom Brady is credited mm -hmm. for, right? Six round pick, six round talent, but you know, first round mindset, right? He's just, I'm going to get better. That's what I'm going to do. That's what you need to see out of these guys that we look at projects, and sometimes we just get a, we just get enamored by the tools that we forget to see how the athlete has used those tools and improved those tools over the year. And with Malik, you know, it's like, hey, the tools are intoxicating, right? You see him run in the senior bowl, you're like, all right, cool. He's not as fast as you think he would be, but, you know, cool. 
he's 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 quick enough that you you can see him running in the NFL. Um, it's just you know how dedicated is he to getting better? Like, is he going to improve or is he going to hit a wall and never move past mm-hmm. it? That's one of the things with Baker Mayfield where we're at with the Browns, where it's like it felt like he hit a wall. You know, he's never made more plays out of structure than he did his rookie year. That's a problem, right? You know, you, you want to see guys who have that in them. And, you know, that that's the biggest thing for Malik Willis. This is the biggest thing for everybody in this drag class. There ain't nobody in this drag class a finished product other than Kenny Pickett, and it's arguable about how finished he is as a product. You know what I mean? I just think people say that because he's been in a, a, the same system forever, and he doesn't really have that many physical traits, so we just go to, oh, well, he's a finished product. But, you know, even he's not finished. You know, there's a guy I, – I talk about this guy as much as I possibly can. He's, he's my personal – like, Caleb Williams is the most exciting quarterback to watch in college football. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like, I oh, – yeah, yeah, look at that smile. Like, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, but the guy that I, I like really, really love and admire and, and in many ways look up to is actually Keaton Slovis, the guy who transferred out of USC to go to Pittsburgh. Mm. This is a guy who, as an 18-year-old freshman, was doing stuff well beyond his years at USC. Got hurt last year, you know, changed coaches, lost his job. Going into last year, Keaton was projected as a number three overall pick in this year's NFL draft class. Like, I think he's a guy who's going to explode next year at Pittsburgh, and he's one of those guys who will never broadcast the work he's doing, but he does so much work off the field to get better. And I, every time I talk to him, I love the guy. I, just, I had to give him a shout-out. He's my favorite quarterback in college football, him or Caleb Williams, and I, I just really, really love Keaton and the work he does behind the scenes. And I think he's someone that does not get the respect he deserves for the work he puts in and the talent he has. Definitely, definitely. I got to check him. Where is he transferring to? Because if he was at Pittsburgh. USC, he's got to be gone. Yo, he's going to – oh, yeah, yeah, my bad. You just said it. Pittsburgh. Okay, yeah. so he's – there's a strong USC to Pittsburgh path line for whatever reason. Because wasn't that the same thing that happened with uh, Peterman? Was Peterman Pittsburgh or – they had Peter, somebody – Peterman was Pittsburgh, but Max Brown went from USC to Pittsburgh. Oh, um, Max Brown. Yeah, that's who yeah. it was. Yeah, well, in the decision-making process, like, you know, it, it's – Pittsburgh was a team that brought back basically their entire offensive line, their entire offense other than Kenny Pickett, and they won their conference last year. Like, they're a really good football team that just needed a quarterback, and you plug in a guy with his skill set. He's a great decision maker. He's really accurate. I just can't wait to see this guy hopefully explode next year in college football and make a name for himself and really get the recognition he deserves. I just really believe in the guy. Oh, yeah, man. There's a ton of guys in college right now that you're just like, oh, man, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I'm interested to see who takes the chance. What's George's quarterback's name? What's the little guy's name? He's like Stetson small, Bennett. Small. Stetson <laughs> Bennett. They tried to tell me They tried to tell me he was 5'10 on that broadcast. I was like, that's a lie. That is a 5'8. I am 5'8. I know what 5'8 look like. That's 5'8. Like, he is 5'8. Um but he might put up enough college numbers that somebody's going to give that a look in the NFL. And, look, that is going to be worth your Game Pass subscription to watch that in preseason because I don't know if we're going to see it in the regular season. But Stetson better at 5'8", 160 pounds. And the thing about Stetson, Stetson think he's the best player on the team, man. Like, Stetson has no awareness that he is not, in fact, the best player and athlete man. at Georgia. So I'm, I'm interested to see – what happens there? Spencer Rattler's another interesting one mm. because Spencer Rattler is a maniac. I don't know if you ever seen the QB one season that he was on. It's a maniac, like, brutal, bro. The way he talked to his backup. Do you hear that? Yeah, yeah I've like, seen that. Like 
This dude's wild. Like, th- yeah, I bet the team didn't like him, right? Like, th- th- you could tell. But I want to see what that's like in the NFL locker room because he's talented enough. Somebody's going to give him a run. He come out there as a six-round pick talking like Spencer Rattler. <laughs> that's going to be fun to watch. You know what I mean? There's Who's the guy from the Last bucket. Chance U? Remember uh, Malik Henry? Remember him? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah! With, with the with the super dysfunctional coach was John Brown was his coach. Jason that Brown, was the I most, think. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was the most dysfunctional football I've ever seen in my. Like at one point, the coach says, "I don't really care about X's and O's. I just get the ball to whoever." I'm like, "That is that is dangerous, Doc. Like, <laughs> you're not even scheming nothing. <laughs> you're just playing Madden out there, like." That's wild to me, to but that he's gotten that far as a coach, and that's his philosophy. But yeah, that was one of them seasons where I was like, "Wow, there's nothing healthy about this environment, man." Like, but it is a great season. Like, yeah. it was <laughs> such good television. Like, oh my god, they made that poor kid have to go on like all the uh, he did the car wash at Fox with with all the uh, sports shows that they did to just it was like look man I ain't as bad as that documentary was making it seem like I was you know it, yeah that was a crazy 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 I think he ended up what did he go to Utah State Nevada no no my Nevada yeah he went to one yeah. of those schools like but yeah it's just gonna be a crazy crazy all these quarterbacks are transferring too did you hear what was his name uh, he went to Bishop Gorman out there in Las Vegas. Tate Martell. Tate Martell. He finally retired from football <laughs> in Man. college. Well, you know what's crazy, That's though, wild. is how hard would it be to be to yourself, right? You're, the world's telling you you're the number one quarterback in the nation. You're, you're getting promoted everywhere. You got a shitload of Twitter followers. Like, you're on top of the world. How can you not – If I don't trust myself at 18 years old to not let my ego get massively inflated in that kind of situation. I I, I can almost feel, like, bad for the guy because he – the world told him he was amazing. He really wasn't amazing, and then it really messed with his head. I mean, I just – I kind of feel bad for the guy. I know he's not a sympathetic figure, but that's a brutal story. Like, when he's 40 looking back on his life, that's a hard thing to look back on. Yeah, and it's like with him – it's one of those unfortunate things because, like, every single structure in his life told him that he was the best thing to ever be born, right? Like, that's yeah. that's the vibe that you got from his parents. It's the vibe you got from Bishop Gorman, everybody there. I mean, the kid went to Ohio State. Uh, was one of they had like a one of the craziest recruiting stories in quite a while. People were comparing him back before it was a bad thing. They were comparing him to Johnny Football, like oh, this is the next Johnny Football. Back when everybody was like excited about that idea, um, and then it just kind of crashes in on you to the point to where like he's the cautionary tale of the transfer porter, right? I think the transfer porter is great for a lot of people, but it's a tool that you got to be careful about how often you, you utilize it because then you can end up in a situation where you never find home. And that's what happened with him. Mm-hmm. He never found home, right? He jumped from situation to situation anytime that things didn't work out. And look, as somebody who's the exact opposite of that, right, where I just get into a situation, I figure it out. Like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to figure it out. Now, that's what I'm more comfortable doing. Like, if I were him, I would have just stayed at Ohio State Knowing that that's my mindset, I try to be more charitable to somebody who has the exact opposite thought process of me. But that's where I'm like, hey, it can get in trouble either way. I could stay in a bad situation and try to make a bad situation work. And I've definitely done that to myself before. Um, But also, you know, 
I can see the benefit of just staying a place, right? Because you never know what's going to open up for you, right? Ohio State might have not been the right place for him. Um, but the second move wasn't the right move either, right? Because, what well, he was at Ohio State at the same time. JT Barrett, um, Dwayne Haskins, and Joe Burrow were there. Like, something ridiculous like that, yeah. you know? Maybe – I think the ideal of going to – of being a recruit like him and going to a Houston, going to a Cincinnati – Going to a school that's going to be good at football. Maybe they're not the biggest program in the world, but they're going to be good at football. I think that's gotten lost on so many people because everybody wants to go to Alabama. Everybody wants to go to Ohio State. Everybody wants to go to Clemson. Everybody wants to go to, like, one of these three or four schools. And I think there's a middle there's a middle class there that you could do quite well in, right, if if you're the quarterback there and they'll give you that time to grow. And I think he's a he's a dude that needed that time to grow, right? Like needed that time to mature, needed a place where he could just be home and people could be used to him, right? Like that that's another thing, right? When you have a personality that people find great and you just need to be somewhere for the same place for people to one tell you these things about yourself that aren't helping you succeed because when you jump around from place to place you're always getting that first you're always getting that like you know weird i don't want to say anything because i just met you kind of energy instead of like yo i've known you for three years you're kind of annoying stop doing this this is this is really getting in the way kind of energy from people and i just think he never found home right and I think some people, I think that needs to be in the mindset of these parents when they help their kids make these decisions is, okay, yeah, that's like the biggest place that you can go to. But what about here? Like, do you feel comfortable with this coaching staff? You know, a smaller program, not going to have turnover with coaching as much as a bigger mm, program. Yeah. Right. You know, you go to a Tennessee, you don't know who's going to be the coach year to year. You go to middle Tennessee. It's been the, like those schools be having the same coach for like 15 years. Right. Like maybe you can grow in the system. Maybe you can grow up there. Maybe like that's going to be a good, stable environment for you. And that's what he needed. He needed something stable instead of. I'm going to go to Ohio State. Oh, nope, didn't get the starting job. Now I'm going to Miami. Oh, nope, didn't get the starting job. Now, he, uh, did he transfer somewhere else? And then he ended up at, like, Arkansas State or something like that? Like, I don't even know where his last stop was. It was so obscure. I was watching, like, a Thursday night college football game. And he was just there, you know? Um, but it, 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 got to so many, it got to such a place where it's like, man, sometimes you just better transferring down yeah. uh, uh, to the subdivision level and just, like, you know, let me try to be the guy at Montana State or something like that. That's you know, exactly no shame in that. Well, if I may, I'll tell a story. I've never told this story, and I I don't want to name a name here, but there's a guy who went from a high level college program to like a mid tier, you know, FBS still Division one program to then like a Division two college. And the whole time I was telling this guy because people occasionally when they transfer contact me, they're like, "Hey, do you got any advice?" And I don't tell them where to go, but I help them weigh the options. And I told this guy to look at Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington is a school that they win a ton. They throw the ball a ton. I, I, I've got a lot of roots there. I know people that went to school there. Cooper Cup went there. My buddy Samson Ibukam went there. Like, you, There's an NFL pathway from Eastern Washington, and you're going to win. You're going to have fun. There's no glamour. It's a small town. But if you like only care about football and you want to win, have fun, and develop into an NFL quarterback, like that's an underrated location that nobody ever talks about. That I, I just think that, man, like if you're a guy who – if you truly only care about getting on the field and you're not sure whether or not you're going to get an opportunity, Eastern Washington is a place that does not get enough looks from guys who are transferring. I'm like, man, I, I, I would go there. 
I'm glad you brought up Eastern Washington and the FCS. I got two things. One, I went to Youngstown State, right? So mm. I'm familiar with with the FBS, uh, FCS. And it's like, one, once you – like the bigger conferences in the FCS, like we talk about Missouri Valley football and, and – uh, was it Big Sky? And, and those conferences – the facilities at the better schools aren't up there with like Division One facility. Like they're they're basically the same indoor facility, all that stuff. They'll have that, that stuff there. Um, I think people underrate that and kind of like, oh, it's Division Two or FCS, and they're like, you're playing in like a high school thing. It's like it's it's a much more uh, perfect. Well, not professional, but you know, it, it's up there with with the facilities that you think would happen, but. You mentioned that you have roots out there. You talked about Cooper Cup, man. I don't know if you were close to Eastern Washington when Cooper Cup was on the team, but I there watched was him a, live a ton. He there was, was crazy. a conference. He was, yeah, I know he was because uh, there was a was it a national semifinal matchup in Eastern Washington against Youngstown State um, in Eastern Washington. I think Cooper Cup's last year there. Um, and that game ended with Youngstown State winning with the craziest catch I've ever seen in my life. I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Kevin Rader caught a ball off the back of a linebacker. Kevin Rader's, by the way, linebacker, uh, t- tight end for the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Um, shout out to him. But he caught the ball off the back, like hugged the, uh, the, the linebacker, caught the ball off of his back, and won the game that way. Um, in Eastern Washington. And I've always wondered how the Eastern Washington fans feel about that moment uh, because that was crazy when I saw it. Like, as a young sound, like I was in college at the time cheering for the university when they did that. I was like, oh, my God, it's one of the craziest highlights ever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow your mind, okay? I, I was there. I was filming that game. Like oh, I remember no. that. Did you get yeah. the angle? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I worked for ESPN, like filming those games. I remember uh, I, I played, I covered a lot of their playoff games. I, I filmed a Eastern Washington Maine game one time. Like I've, I, I was really close to that program. I had friends who played there. I went to school at Washington State, which is an hour away. Like I was there all the time. And I mean, I remember we would talk about Cooper Cup and say like, hey, this guy's going to the NFL, right? Like he's because he was literally just like destroying people. It wasn't even funny. Like he was like. It was like Jerry Rice. He he looked he, like he does in the NFL. Like he was just dominating people, and uh, yeah, I, I remember that game very well. It was I think I was twenty sixteen, uh, something like yeah. that. It, it was uh, yeah, that's pretty wild. That's so cool. Yeah, it was twenty sixteen. I remember because I was in the RA. I was like in charge of like the football floor of the dorm at the time. And one of my one of my uh, best friends, Tierney, her brother's Tevin McCaster. He was the running back for Youngstown at the time. And I remember asking him because he, he had a good game. I was like, "Man, how did it feel out there?" He was like, "It was cold. It was real cold." <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't film that game, but I was there. And now that I look back. Twenty sixteen would have been before I was working filming, but I was there. I remember. Dad, that's crazy, man. Yeah, that's, that's wild, wild, man. But I always think about that game. Every time I see Cooper Cup, I'm like, yeah, Coop. I... Youngstown State had some interesting victories over that Rams team because also uh, Youngstown State once beat a pit team that had Aaron Donald on it. I don't know how that happened, but this is like junior year Aaron Donald. They beat Young... Youngstown State, mm-hmm. beat Pitt. I was like, who was on that pit team that they beat? Aaron Donald? <laughs> like, what? Tyler Boyd? Uh, Tyler Boyd, was he still. I know Tyler because we played. I thought he was younger than Aaron Donald, I believe. 
Yeah, yeah. I think he's he was there like I think he might have been a freshman, but he wasn't like a keep. No, he wasn't on the roster. Tyler, Tyler Boyd, Boyd was drafted in 2016 by the Bengals. So yeah. if he was, he came out like his third year. Yeah, I don't know. I know. I, yes. I looked. I looked at it literally the other day. He was drafted in 2016 because he'd been there. I was looking at how long he'd been in Cincinnati. Like he didn't have a winning year until this year. His entire career in Cincinnati. Which is wild. wild. Can we, I'd love to ask you about something. I have never, ever talked about this topic on, on my show. I've always kind of skirted around it. I got to talk about how fame corrupts guys, and that's hard to deal with. But the one thing I've never talked about is how you see it a lot. Guys get distracted by girlfriends. They get a girlfriend, and when you're a quarterback, you're not really like a normal guy. I know that sounds wrong, but like you have different responsibilities than a normal college kid than a normal guy like Dwayne Haskins going to work is different than a guy in a real estate job or a guy going to cubicle. Like you've got a different responsibility. And I just think a lot of these young quarterbacks, college and the NFL, and I put Dwayne Haskins out there. I don't, I don't mean to, there's, there's definitely plenty of examples out there where like you see them going to Disney world, going on dates, going to parties, doing this. And I'm like, man, I think that girlfriend's a distraction. And I've been in that relationship where I felt like my, my – I called off a relationship because I felt like it was hurting my career. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm just doing too many things that are not working. I got to focus more on what I'm doing. And if you're an NFL quarterback, like the amount of focus and time it takes to – especially early on. Like by the time you're a, a mature NFL quarterback and you, you have mastered NFL defenses, you can really focus on a family. But early on, some of these young guys, I think, get girlfriends – in their rookie year, and it really, I think, can be a massive distraction that we don't talk about really as an NFL society because we don't want to impose and we don't want to cross a line. But I, I really believe that there are certain guys that that can hinder. Yeah, it's like a fine line, right? Because it, it's really just a maturity thing, right? Like for a, a young dude who's trying to figure out the NFL and, and figure out just how to play quarterback and adjust – you know, also figuring out, like, just regular life stuff, like, you know, how does your relationship translate transition from college to, you know, real life uh, with your girlfriend or whatever it is, you know? How's that going to work? How Where are you going to, like, all these other things coming in there can also kind of just get in the way. Like, I think, you know, if you're, like, a 10-year vet and you've been doing this for a while, yeah, you probably know – what you need from somebody to be in a relationship and be a, a quarterback, right? But when you're at the start of your journey, you know, sometimes some people are really malleable and really able to, like, adjust their relationships, and, and they can have long-term relationships from day one with somebody. And sometimes, you know, some situations aren't as flexible for whatever reason, right? You know, um, and that's always something to be mindful of. I can't go into somebody's Instagram and, like, try to evaluate the girlfriend. I think that would get, like, <laughs> yeah, you I can't think do that. get insane no, no, no. At, at some levels there. But I do think, like, you know, there is something to it where it's like, hey, you know, how do they handle all of this, right? Like, you know, you're trying to start a family, you're trying to do these things, but you're also not really settled in your career. So, like, how are you going to handle all these things right now, you know, before you even know how to do it? Like, for me, um, just, like, taking this from a smaller thing, right, for, for me and you as content creators, right, it would have probably been very hard in your first year going full-time to also have a relationship that you're trying to juggle or a family that you're trying to start, right? Because this this takes a lot of, like, 
thought and, and things that people don't think about, right? A lot of a lot of just watching other YouTubers uh, and just figuring out where trends are going and what what you need to do and how you can set yourself apart in time and just studying things and putting a lot of energy into things that a lot of people don't put energy into. And, you know, it, it takes a while. Like, I joke about this with my buddy Engraven because he's been doing YouTube forever. But, you know, people ask me, like, oh, do you write your videos? I'm like, yeah, my first year I wrote my videos because I didn't know what to say, right? Like, so I have this whole script that I'm trying to read off of. But, you know, now I'm in year two, year three. Look, I'm I'm off the playbook, man. We running two-minute drills. We, we, we doing this off the dome sometimes. You know, we calling audibles. We're adjusting the defenses and stuff, right? And once you get to that point, maybe you can add more things in. But it's just – it's 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 knowing what you can and cannot do in your situation and for a young quarterback it's like they don't know what they can and cannot get away with what they can and cannot sacrifice or 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 lose because some guys might be better if they don't have a girlfriend other guys if they don't have somebody to lean on and help them you know with certain things they might fall apart mentally, right? Like, that's also uh, something mm. that we have to keep in mind, right? They need like, that stabilizing force. Yeah, and it's like, until they've done the job for a while, they don't know what they need, right? They just yeah. know what they want, and, and that's kind of what I'm getting at here, right? Me, as a, a getting into content creation and been doing this for a little while, I'm at a point to where if I did need to add that or didn't want to add that, I could. Like, I feel like I could add that in there, know how to do it without making too many sacrifices that would, like, hinder the product. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's the same way with the quarterback. You know, once you get comfortable in your situation, it's why a lot of these dudes remarry, like, right before they hit their prime, right? It's like once you know, okay, it's year five, I know that I can get this amount of work in while also getting this amount of work in with my relationship and with my family and and be able to balance these things better. Because when you're young, you know, so you don't know, like, what you can and can't sacrifice. I remember when I was in college, I used to freak out. Like, I used to have terrible relationships just because, like, (laughs) you know, I would be like, I got to – I have to spend every hour of my life studying for this test because, like, you know, I don't know that I don't need to do all of that, right? That was me my freshman and sophomore year. By the time I got to my junior and senior year, I'm like – now nah, I could go out this weekend. That test, I got that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, you, you learn eventually how to make your work more efficient um, as you get used to it and have a process. And I think that's what we don't look at with young players is understanding that there's going to be that curve, right? Like, you could blame it on the girlfriend. You could blame it on the family or whatever it is that's consuming most of their life. But you have to have them learn at some point what they can get away with, what they can't, and what the boundaries are or what the boundaries need to be in order for them to maintain the career that they want to and ask themselves, is that a sacrifice they want to take? Because some dudes don't want to, right? Aaron Donald, famously a dude who, like, you know, I'm going to retire early eventually, right? Like Aaron Donald has talked about retiring as early as this year, you know, because it's not a sacrifice that he wants to make for, for, for so long, right? That's fair. That's absolutely fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that that's the thing, right? When you're drafting a kid and he's 21, 22, ain't no way that dude knows like, what he actually wants to sacrifice. He just knows what he wants to – what he hopes to achieve. This is a topic I'd never make a video about because, I mean, like, you, you kind of even said it. It's so – every situation is unique and different. It has their own dynamics. But I talked to one guy who 
said, you know, he's like, when my first year in the NFL, I was figuring out, like, how to even, like, what time do I get to the facility? How much time, like, when do I go home? How much time? Like, he's learning the NFL. On top of that, his girlfriend had moved in with him. They're living together for the first time. She's not working because she doesn't need to. So he's gone all day. She didn't handle that very well. Like, it, the relationship, he felt like, was an added burden on top of him trying to figure out the NFL. And I wonder how much yeah. that kind of stuff goes on. And, and this is not just at the quarterback position, but I think mostly the quarterback because it's so much more uh, demanding than even other positions are. But, man, I, I just know that that does go on. And I think that's a factor. Like, I, I just – I don't want to make any grand statements, but I, sometimes when you see a guy struggle early on in their career, I wonder, like, is the girlfriend, is the the new wife, is that – at all a distraction for guys and I there's a reason I don't talk about it, but I know that does happen. Well, Zach, I think you could take it just I think it happens for everybody, like in life. Like I think this is the thing a lot of people can mm. cause it's like, you know, I people don't talk about it as much, but having somebody like live with you and like learning how to cohabitate with another human being, like that's not like your roommate from college. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's an <laughs> adjustment, man. That they're, they're like I, I joke about this all the time, but, like, I'm dead serious. Before you turn 25, you have no idea, if, especially, like, if you're into women, like, what what your spouse wants. Like, you're guessing most of the time, right? So that's a huge adjustment. That's something that's taken me years. I'm still trying to figure it out, right? Like, that's a whole adjustment in itself. And then you add the stress of a job, like any job, right? Um, especially if it's like a job in a career field that you've studied for, you know, lawyer, doctor, nurse, whatever it is, whomever you are, male or female, like trying to get off the ground with your career and juggle a relationship, it's it's tough. You know, a lot of, why a lot of people break up at that point, right? Because they just want to figure things out. I know for me, like when I was, I this story I've never told before, so they're getting all kind of exclusives today. But, you know, when I, first graduated college and I wanted to jump into acting because that's the first thing I wanted to do. I moved to LA. You know, I felt like every attachment that I had was burdening me, was stopping me from doing certain things. You know, oh, I don't, you don't want me to audition for these kind of roles and stuff like that. And it felt like it got, it was something that got in the way. And it was like, I liked the person, but I felt like I wanted to achieve things, right? So it's like, it, it gets like that for a lot of people where it's like, you know, your relationship, you have to figure out, one, how important is that relationship to you? Is it worth, is it a sacrifice that you're willing to make? Is that person willing to make certain sacrifices? And, you know, when it comes to what you're trying to achieve, is that important enough to you? And it's no shade if it's not important enough to you. But if it's important enough to you to make those sacrifices, you know what I mean? Is that going to be what y'all want to do? You know, you, you can't have no half measures. It can't be no, well, maybe, well, if the money's good enough, like it either is or it isn't because, you know, it's going to be stressful. It's going to be hard again. You know, mm. you, that's why it's it's just something that it takes a lot of mental toughness to be successful in anything in life, but let alone quarterback, because, you know, life gives you a ton of things to juggle. And, you know, we're not really in a society that loves to cut people slack at all. So, you know, it's just, it's rough. You know, I think a lot of people can relate to that. I don't think it's just exclusive to quarterbacks, though. I would say it's to everybody, definitely. And, you know, when it comes to quarterbacks, definitely, bro. Like, you know, you're trying to start a family and be the quarterback of an NFL team. That's got to be, that's got to be hard, right? Like, like that's got to be hard. Yeah. Especially if there <laughs> yeah. is, if, if not everybody is on that program, you know, if, if you're in a relationship and the girlfriend doesn't really understand 
why you have to spend or feel like you have to spend eight hours working on your craft or whatever it is, you know what I mean? Or why you're like, you know, superstitious about certain things and, and all that. And why she always has to read the playbook calls out to you and she needs to regurgitate these things. Like, you know, she ain't down with the program. Like that's going to be difficult. It's, it's going to be difficult. Right. But you know, it's, it's part of the decision-making process as a young quarterback that you got to figure it out. Like, you know, how important is it to, for me to be a great quarterback? Maybe you don't want to be a great quarterback, but you want to be a great, you know, partner to your, to your spouse that's cool you know what i mean like i would hate to draft that number one overall but you know like personally like as a man to man i can't be mad at that decision uh but you know it's just it's one of those things that you have to figure out how to juggle those things as you go along in life and everybody's answer to that question is completely different man uh we've been talking for two hours we should probably call it i <laughs> i love talking to you man you're, you're the best um i'd i'd love to Extend an invitation now. Whenever something happens with the Browns quarterback situation, whatever they draft, I'd love to have you back on to discuss. Like, I, if they trade for Kirk Cousins, your ass better be back on the show so we can talk about it. That sounds like really, really fun. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just want to let you know I, I'm a fan of you. I love your content. And I I, I really like you as a person. Like, I, I just think you're awesome to talk to. All right, man. Appreciate that, man. It's fun talking to you. Just enjoyed this. The vibes are just immaculate. Fun talking uh, we, we went everywhere in this show, right? We talked about the Browns. <laughs> we talked about young quarterbacks. We talked about life advice. We talked about Eastern Washington, Youngstown State 2016. This is the only podcast where you're going to get this kind of combination, right? <laughs> like, this range. <laughs> Absolutely, my man. Hey, well, thank you so much, um, and uh, have a great day. You're the best. All right, man. Thank you, man.